here has something to say. Uh, what's that, Al? Ooh, I'm Alan Wake. I'm always right about everything. And if I don't get my way, I'll sulk all day long. I'm always intense and moody. It makes me very attractive and mysterious. Right now, I'm just standing here because I need my best friend Barry to carry me. But that's okay. I can just take him for granted. I think I see what you did there. Yeah, it was pretty good. You want me to do my imitation of Barry Wheeler? No? Thought so. Hello and welcome to another episode of Square Waves FM. Today is episode 38. And we're going to resume our discussion on scary games. Yeah. I'm scared. Good. You should be. <laughs> Once again, we're your hosts, Bianca and Brian. And joining Hello. us for this uh, follow-up episode is Akigo. Hi, Akigo. Hi. Hey, we're glad to have you back. Hope you've been doing well. Well enough. That's good. Well enough is exactly well enough. That's good. How have you been this week, Bianca? Uh, pretty good, except for the time, except for the fact that I chopped off part of my thumb making. Oh my god! <laughs> oh yeah. Just a small little piece of skin, not nothing too big, but enough that I had to stop what I was doing, run it under some water, and apply some pressure, clean it up, and wear a band aid and cry about it for the last two or three days. I had a nasty injury myself the other week. Oh, what a lucky week uh, it's been! What happened to you? Well, it wasn't that bad, but well, while I was making deliveries, because, you know, I work as a postal worker. Mm. You disgruntled uh, yet? What? <laughs> you disgruntled yet? <laughs> uh, you could say that. I'm obviously <laughs> looking for a different job, but anyway, I was putting the mail in the uh, mailbox, and I didn't notice that there was a piece of metal sticking out of it, so I jabbed my finger on it, and oh. it started bleeding pretty heavily. That sucks. Ow. That's yeah, well, it, it wasn't that deep, all things considered, but it still bled uh, pretty heavily for a while, so that was made it kind of difficult to keep uh, keep on the job. <laughs> Yucko, that's not a very considerate thing for a homeowner to do. Yeah, I try, I tried to call them out on it, but unfortunately, they weren't home at the time. Oh, that's too bad. Well, you'll you'll have to you'll have to be a responsible uh, postal worker and sabotage their mail somehow. Did you bleed all over their mail? At yeah, least? smear your blood on it. That'll teach yeah, them. Yeah, smear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, me, I just did this while uh, preparing uh, dinner. And this is the same meal I tried to make a previous day, but had burnt my uh, shallots and uh, created a nice oh. cloud of smoke in my kitchen. <laughs> yeah, this dinner was cursed, wasn't it? Yeah. It's all the, it's all the fault of the shallots. These damn cursed shallots. Screw you, shallots. <laughs> well, it turned out real good. She made... She made whole wheat spaghetti with homemade uh, tomato sauce and oh. what were they? Uh, pork and beef yeah. meatballs. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was awesome! Oh wow! This lady's a hell of a awesome. cook. It was fantastic. Yeah, my sauce. I use uh, I used fresh shallots and garlic as the uh, for the flavoring. Um, basil, oregano, and tarragon. A dash, a, a splash uh, of white uh, wine. Um, and then a little bit of salt, pepper, and some sugar just to help uh, temper the tartness of it. And what kind of tomatoes? Ah, I used uh, 
vine ripened tomatoes. So that way you got to the net to bring back the freshness since most of the, since I was relying on a can of tomato paste and imported uh, stewed tomatoes in a can from Italy. Oh, so you put three kinds of tomatoes? Uh, the paste is to help thicken it. Mm-hmm. The stewed tomatoes are so you get that really nice classic flavor. And then the fresh tomato was to bring back the tang. Man. That sounds damn good. I can't believe you only cut yourself once while doing all that stuff. I would have, like, decapitated myself trying to open the can. Well, it was well worth yeah. all the effort. It was so yummy. And your dad yeah. liked it, too? My, my, my parents actually grew their own tomatoes over the summer. They were delicious. Oh, wow. Just in their backyards? Yeah. Wow, those must have been great. I have an mm, aunt who grows, her, who grows some of her own stuff. I've had it a couple of times. They're pretty – they're really nice. Oh, that's really nice. Mm-hmm. I've been I've I've been on and off watching this uh, series on Netflix called Mind of a Chef. I don't remember the they have a different host every season. I'm on the second season now. Yeah, I don't remember the guy's name. He's from like uh, somewhere in the southern U.S., uh, Mississippi or Kentucky or something, and he talks a lot about agriculture and how important it is to know where the food comes from and how much more careful you are while you're cooking something when you know the person who grew it and that it's in a finite quality quantity. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a good show. Or you're always more careful with your ingredients when you know that you have had to go out you buy, and you uh, buy them yourself and you have to prepare everything from scratch. Yeah. True enough. Maybe we should try growing something sometime. Dude. Mm. We have the brownest thumbs this side of the desert. Oh, you can make like a shower mold souffle or something for us. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we couldn't really grow anything with the birds in here. They'd probably destroy it. Oh, that's probably true. Well, <laughs> you can make budgie chicken breasts for us if they do that. And they'll be naturally seasoned Aww. with our herbs. Ah, well. <laughs> I feel very poorly prepared this week. I mean, at least I have my notes from when we uh, chatted last time, and plenty of them at least. Okay, good. Wow, we have a shitload of games on our list. All right, I don't feel so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, I uh, haven't, haven't really had a lot of time to prepare. I've been pretty busy myself this week. Yeah, ditto. Well, we've... Uh, like, I, like I said, I had work. I've been uh, working on a s- script for a new video that I've been trying to get out for ages. Oh, terrific. Are you able to give us a hint about uh, the topic? Oh, well, if you've been following my channel, you probably already know what it is. I've been doing a retrospective on a Dutch cartoon series called Alfred J. Quack. Hmm. Which is a pretty uh, noteworthy little series from the late 1980s about a duck who fights Hitler. What? (laughs) Alfred J. Quack. That's fantastic. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, just about. It it is a lot better than it sounds. Well, it's not literally Hitler. It's just an evil crow who basically takes over the country like Hitler at one point. (laughs) Alfred J. Quack. I'm putting this in the show notes, but this I got to see. You wrote it as Alfred J. Quick. Would you believe Quack Quack has Yeah, but it's spelled K-W-A-K. Oh, thank you. Ah, yeah. Because it's Dutch. uh, I see. Because there's no Q in Dutch, right? Unless you're borrowing from a foreign language? Uh, pretty much. We say we have words like quiche and such. Which you're boring from French. Right. Neat. Same with letter Y, right? Oh, and can uh, you resolve something about the, pronuncia- know, but... about the pronunciation of the letter G? How is it uh, a phlegm clearer like you would find in Yiddish or Hebrew? Or is it not as phlegmtastic? <laughs> <laughs> you really shouldn't ask me these questions. I don't know uh 
I don't know much about grammar or et- etymology or anything like that. It's pronunciation. You speak the goddamn language. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. What did you call it? A phlegm clearer. Like it's I a really no hard kind of <laughs> kind of sound that, that, tip, that typical to Yiddish and Hebrew. Oh well, for example, there's oh, yeah, a yeah, yeah. We, we we basically pronounce our G's like that, like shoot, which means big. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a. Well, that doesn't sound like as much of a phlegm clearer as Yiddish, but thanks, that helps. Okay. It is more. It is a harder. It is a harder G, more of a phlegm clearer than you would find in English, though. Yeah. Well, when we visited Amsterdam, I remember going to a, a music store who uh, that was um, owned by what was the DJ? I think it was DJ Promo, who was a pretty world-renowned like hardcore techno DJ. Um, oh yeah, boring. I remember wanting to get out of that oh, store. Oh, <laughs> I love I love the CD that I bought from them too. But uh, I mentioned to the person working that day that I liked. A certain genre, like a subgenre of hardcore techno, which uh, is pronounced at least incorrectly in North America as Gabber, and the the proprietor oh, kind of yeah. like sneered at me, like he's like, "That's not how you pronounce it." I'm like, "Oh, I'm sorry. How do you pronounce it?" I think he said Gabber. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, so that's what confirmed the pronunciation of that uh, of that uh, yeah. consonant mm-hmm. for me. It's a peculiar one. Yeah, that's and that's the sound that we call a phlegm clearer. Although we all, another although very guttural language for some in some cases would be Welsh. And there we go off on another tangent. So why don't you? Yeah, I know. Really, Welsh sounds like you just like drank a pitcher full of hollandaise sauce and are like gasping for air. <laughs> it is, and that's why I never tried to pronounce it when this one insufferable friend of mine kept making this other guy try to pronounce Welsh. It was just so pathetic. It's a really, really tricky one. And not even that many people speak it. How many people speak Welsh in the world? Less than a million, I think. Although there is a revival among the younger generations Hmm. because the Welsh government made it a second mandatory uh, to be studied in school. Welsh and Gaelic, I guess. They Uh, sound kind of familiar, don't they? They are. They're they're from the same... Historic family, but linguistically, uh, they're Anglo-Saxon. Okay. Although they have the same, although they go back, although because Anglo-Saxons and German and Germanic languages have their same basic roots, but then they branch off and then they further branch off. Okay. That's why there's very few similarities between English, Welsh, and Gaelic. So it sounds like Middle English, I guess. English from like hundreds of years ago. Very... Unlikely, since it would since Middle English would sound closer to high uh, to uh, high or low German. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that clears up nothing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, video games. Um, I want to give uh, another shout out to our uh, friend of the podcast and uh, very dear listener Avi Hayun, who uh, emailed me saying that uh, thanks to our uh, the uh, thanks to the comments. From Trolls last week, uh, Avi has added an RSS feed and uh, an iTunes uh, subscription or whatever you call it, an iTunes feed for his DOS Games Hub podcast. And he just released the second episode of his podcast, which is about Donald Duck's Playground, which is a game that I enjoyed very much and played at a a friend's house on her, I think it was a Commodore 128 or something like that. Was this one that was re-released recently in an updated version? I don't think so. Or was no. that a different one? Oh, that was Scrooge McDuck. Never mind. I. Oh, you're thinking of DuckTales. Yeah. 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 
Okay, got them confused. They're both duck. They both have, they walk around with like jackets, but no pants. That's why I got them confused. <laughs> the pants is ducks. Oh, yeah. Did Alfred J. Quack wear pants? Uh, he doesn't wear anything usually except for a scarf. Oh, okay, man. Those ducks get away with anything, don't they? Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I need to check out Abby's uh, podcast sometime. I've been meaning to, but I'm still catching up with the, uh, uh, what's it called? The No Quarter podcast. Oh, yeah. I love that podcast a lot. I don't know if they're making it anymore. It had been, uh, I'm pretty sure they still are. It had been. I should check them out. I, I, it had been a little while since I listened to them. Uh, uh, I admit, I admittedly got a little turned off when they switched hosts because I really like that guy Carrington Vanston, and he left. But the guy that they have on now, Rob O'Hara, I just finished reading his book Commodore, and it was phenomenally good. I absolutely loved it. Commodore, yeah, comma dork. Comma dork, whatever. Yeah. Dork. Um, <laughs> it reminded me a lot of our first uh, episodes of this podcast. It's all stories about his like tales yeah. and exploits of BBSing. It was a great book, so I need to listen to that again. Uh, yeah, the li- the list of the podcast I got here goes up to episode one hundred twenty six, and uh, the date underneath that says March eighth. Yeah, they seem to have kind of petered out after a while, unfortunately. Hmm. I don't oh, know. Yeah. This will, uh, there's see no, how it goes as I uh, go along. Yeah, there's no shortage of episodes to listen to, and uh, they're very enthusiastic and extremely knowledgeable. They're, I think um, Mike McGinnis yeah. and Carrington Benson, I believe they're both programmers, and they both know like really old programming languages and CPUs and stuff like that. So they speak about the the, the main boards and the, the processors and the technologies and those old arcade games, and they play them. Oh, yeah. They're really nice guys. I love their show. I got to listen to more of the Rob O'Hara ones. Hear, hear, hearing the banter between uh, Carrington and uh, Mike, because M- Mike's always kind of the grump, and Carrington mm-hmm. is basically the not-so-grump. Yeah, they're, they're a good duo. That was a really and, good and one. I, I like uh, hearing, as the show goes on, hearing about Carrington's ongoing saga with the uh, Fix-It Felix Jr. machine that he uh, found. Oh, yeah. I didn't listen to every one of their shows. I think I only listened to, I think because there were so many to catch up on, even though they're like an hour or less each. I think I just picked episodes corresponding to the arcade machines I was familiar with, and then I started listening to them all once I got caught up to that point. So I'm sure I missed some of the narrative, but uh, yeah. But uh, ba- basically, he uh, found this uh, Fixed Felix Junior machine, which is based on the movie uh, Wreck It Ralph. Right. And th- those things were apparently really damn rare because Disney made a select number of them and released them to uh, certain places uh, for promotional purposes. But he somehow managed to find one and buy it for real cheap and. So he was pretty happy with that. Mm. Understandably so. Well, I'll put a link to them in our show notes, too, in case uh, our listeners haven't checked out the No Quarter podcast. It's a really, really good one, just about mostly 1980s and some 1990s uh, coin-operated arcade games. A really enjoyable, concise podcast with lots, yeah. of, lots of information, but it's still very casual, and the hosts are great. <clears throat> So I wish all three of those hosts, current and former, all the best because they have a terrific show. Um, we have a letter from our dearest of dear friends, Ben Chandler. Oh. So let's uh, let's read this out. Should I read it or do you want to read it? Um, I'll read it today. Yay. Okay, let's see. Where Yay. is it? Ben writes, hello, squares, me again. In your most recent episode with Trolls, you mentioned the sad dearth of point-and-click adventure games for the Wii. 
But I noticed that the only examples mentioned were ports of games designed for personal computers, which ran quite slow. I feel I ought to mention a game that was designed exclusively for the Wii that never seems to get much love. Another Code R. A oh, Journey into Lost that's Memories. Fantastic. I was just thinking of that exact game. Hmm. It's a sequel to a Nintendo DS game, and it's it's a point and click point and click adventure with a very nice with very nice anime graphics and mostly quite simple gameplay. Although it has at least one very interesting meta puzzle very late in the game. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's very slow to start. Perhaps the slowest game, perhaps the slowest start to a game that I've ever played. It has quite a bit of tracking back and forth, but overall, I enjoyed my time with it quite a bit. It's a great example of a point-and-click adventure that is entirely at home on the Wii. And it's a shame that not many people talk about it. Unfortunately, there is no North American release of the game, but mm. Trolls might be able to find an inexpensive used copy if you can find a Wii to borrow. And perhaps if Brian and Bianca set up an emulation on their PCs, they can find a way to try it out for themselves. All the best, Ben. Hey, thanks, Ben. I haven't heard of this one. Another Code R, A Journey into Lost Memories. You're familiar oh, yeah, with this? It's a really good game. Oh, you played the Wii one? Uh, yeah, I played I played both of them. Mm. I played the original game on DS, and I played the sequel on the Wii. Mm. And they're, they're both really interesting games, uh, decent stories, interesting puzzles that make really interesting use of the hardware. Like on the DS, uh, yeah, there's puzzles where you use the touch screen to manipulate certain objects, or you blow into the microphone, or... At one point, he even shut the DS cover and opened it again to do something. Weird. Oh, that's neat. And the uh, the Wii sequel has uh, similar mechanics where they make uh, clever use of the uh, Wii remote hardware. Hmm. Where you move it around in different uh, ways. That's such a nice opportunity because I guess you spend a lot of time in adventure games manipulating objects. And it's usually summarized by just like clicking one object and then clicking the other or dragging one on to- object on top of the other. It would be so nice and tactile if we had some kind of a hardware device that we could wave around in 3D space on PC to give some more tactility to puzzles. Well, it's not quite as intricate as that, but they still do some pretty interesting things with it. Well, that's cool. But, yeah, he wasn't kidding about the slow start because I uh, streamed the Wii version at one point on Twitch uh, years and years ago. And, well, basically it takes place on a summer camp. You're going there to meet your uh, estranged father. And for the first hour or so, you're just wandering around. You're meeting all these characters. You're being led from one place to another as you slowly uh, get your bearings. And then you finally get to your dad and you're going to have a barbecue. But you need to find some coal to start the fire. And you need to uh, pick up some cans that are lying around and put them in the recycling bins and et cetera, et cetera. It's just some really tedious, menial stuff before the plot really gets to going. Oh, does it feel like they padded it out just for length? Uh, not necessarily, but you know, it's uh, you know they're, they're introducing the characters and all that, but it uh, it's slow going. Hmm. Well, does it feel worthwhile in the end, at least? Oh yeah, definitely. Like if you can uh, plot through it, the story is really interesting. And the puzzles are worthwhile, so definitely uh, interesting to check out if you can find it. Because, like Ben said, unfortunately, the, uh, the the Wii version at least was only released in Europe because the country, uh, the company, Sing, uh, unfortunately went under shortly after. Mm. 
Uh, but the DS version, at the very least, was released in all territories, although in America it was released under a different title, uh, Trace Memory. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Hmm. Sounds familiar. I think... Did we play that? I don't know. Why don't you go get the DS from the bedroom and uh, load up and see if it's on there? Oh, I've got it on... Uh... Oh, yeah, you might have it on here. It sounds familiar. Does that in? No, I'm thinking of something else. Time something. Uh, sure. Uh, tra- 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 memory. Trace you memory or another code on the DS was where you were exploring an island and you were accompanied by a ghost of a uh, little boy. I finished that. Oh, you played that. Yeah. That okay, was weird. Okay, cool. I don't have it here. Yeah, you played that. I think I started that and that's as far as I got because it was a very slow Yeah. intro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Oh, it did look kind of yeah. interesting though. I had I had trouble committing to Nintendo DS games. Number one, because well, we gave that system a really fair shake. We we bought it right before our uh, honeymoon, didn't we? The original one, not the XL. That's right. Although they ran the same games, and it, we bought a few games, and they were more expensive than we thought they were worth, and they weren't as good as we thought warranted the money. Yeah, I haven't played a whole lot myself, but there are some interesting titles on it, nonetheless. Oh, there are lots. But then we, we spoiled everything for ourselves because then we got, I think it was called the R4DS, which was the oh, the yeah. flash cart, which lets you put a micro SD card into your uh, Nintendo DS and, mm-hmm. and play. Those uh, are, oh, those, that just made the world of difference. And, and all of a sudden, we had all these games at our fingertips. We did. It was especially nice not having to juggle a bunch of cartridges, but to have everything yeah, on the same cartridge. Yeah, it was basically the difference between carting around your... Uh, your book of CDs and uh, having an MP3 player. It was. Yeah. Exactly. So then, because we had, like, every game ever at our fingertips, it was kind of hard to take any of them seriously. But despite that, we loved all the Phoenix Wright games, and we played some other adventure game-style games as well, like Hotel Dusk. You did. I didn't. Oh, oh I didn't uh, Hotel, Hotel Dusk was actually by the same company that did Another Code. Oh, really? Hmm. Although I personally didn't care, didn't care as much for that one. Me neither, uh, but the presentation was incredible. I loved how the presentation was interesting, but the story just kind of plodded along and didn't really grab me as much. Yeah, I agree. Same for me. We tried. There's one called Time Code or something. Time something. Time Hollow. Yeah, that was it. I don't remember that, but I did play Trauma Center. I almost finished that one. Well, that wasn't oh, really an adventure game. Though. True, it wasn't an adventure game. We did all the Phoenix Wright ones, and you still haven't tried the second uh, Edgeworth one. That oh, I tried good. it. So I have to get through it. Oh, and there was another one that I liked. It was called Three Nines or something. Nine Doors, Nine Butts. Nine Doors, Nine Persons, Nine Hours. There you go. I got, I don't know, I got several hours into it. I was totally into it, and I got to some puzzle I couldn't beat, and I just lost interest, which is a real shame. I bet I was like three-quarters of the way through that game. That was a good game. Uh, That's a a pretty tricky one, but I played all the way through it, and... It's definitely worth the effort. I would go back to it. I liked that a lot. It was it was a good Halloween Although, kind of a game too. One problem I have with it because it's a visual novel. Basically, you've got all these different uh, op- uh, choices you got to make, so all these different routes to mm-hmm. go along and different endings. You basically have to repeat a lot of the same stuff over and over again to get to the best ending. Oh sure, and that and that means having to solve the same puzzles over and over again as well which gets really tedious. And they were like mind bender like like newspaper puzzle kind of games too, like IQ test kind of puzzles. They had sliding tile puzzles. Oh, yeah, once you, once you solve them the first time then obviously the solution will always be the same uh when right. you're re- repeating the game again, but it's it's still tedious and that's something they fortunately fixed with a sequel. 
But then the sequel, in my opinion, didn't have as good as the, good of a story. Mm. Uh, see, the sequel is uh, Virtue's Last Reward, which was on the Nintendo 3DS and PSP. Mm. Or was it, or was it P- no, the PS Vita, actually. Oh, that's interesting. I hate when they put sequels on a different platform by a different manufacturer. It's hard to follow. Oh, well. But, but yeah, not, uh, Nine Doors, Nine Persons, Nine Hours, whatever it's called, 999. Yeah. It uh, was a pretty good game for what it was. I thought so, too. I was I was really into it. I didn't think that I would get into a game like that, but it was it was engrossing, and it was dark, and the, the characters didn't piss yeah. me off. Uh, I might have mentioned this before, but it was actually written by the same guy who also did uh, one of my favorite visual novels, Ever 17. Oh, I don't think you did mention uh, I mentioned it on a previous show. Oh. Recall, you even linked me to you even linked to my uh, review of it. I remember. Uh, yes, yes. My mistake. Oh, so well. it, it, very it well shares written. a lot of the same kind of themes and tropes, as it were. Was that a, a Konami game or a Capcom game? It was a big no, publisher. No, 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 wasn't no, 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 no. Oh. Ever Seventeen was a Japanese visual novel by. I don't even remember what company, but it was also uh, also a similar plot where you had these uh, group of people in a. Uh, closed environment trying to survive, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the whole uh, ba- Battle Royale, is that the name of the manga that I read? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That, that whole theme seems to be pretty prevalent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, except they don't have to kill each other to survive. Well, usually. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right. That's my problem with uh, anime themes in general, is that there are some central kind of tropes. That so yeah. many series really stick to without doing very much that's different. So that, that gets very tiresome for me. It's hard to sort the original stuff from the from the derivative. Yeah, that's the problem. The original stuff well. is whatever came first. Well, sure, but yeah, because when I started out with anime like ten years ago, there were all these series. They all seemed so different and exciting compared to what I was used to with Western shows and whatnot. But you know, once you really get into it, then you start to notice everything is really, really alike, especially kind of like the kind of typical shonen action series like Dragon Ball Z and Naruto and... The uh, Screamathon 9000. Yeah. What? The Screamathon 9000. We're just going to yell at each other for the next 30 minutes, <laughs> charging up our superpowers. I'm sure Dragon <laughs> Ball Z is good. It's just every time I've seen it, yeah. unfortunately, on North American television, it's just them screaming at each other. Mm-hmm. And Sailor yeah. Moon, they sanitized as well, which is why I could never watch the English translations. It was too sanitized. Uh, I, w- I watched the Japanese original myself. It's yeah, I, mean, I, I watched many of the original Japanese as well. Um, having Truth, truth be told, yeah, Dragon Ball Z is guilty of a lot of those uh, typical show and intros, but I still love it because it's just so. I, I don't know. It probably the created top, all the original. It probably created the create the progenitor of the tropes. So yeah, it, it actually is. A lot of uh, modern uh, authors and animators still uh, take a lot of inspiration from that. Yeah, so they were mm-hmm. they're allowed. If you're the if you're the first one, you're allowed to milk those tropes until the cows come home, and then yeah. molest them some more. And they've actually made a brand new series now called Dragon Ball Super, which takes place after Dragon Ball Z. Oh. Did they find the Dragon Balls or are they still searching for the Dragon's Balls? What's that? Did they find the Dragon's Balls yet or are they still searching for the Dragon's Balls? (laughs) They're still groping around in the dark. (laughs) I'll get back to you on that. (laughs) This reminds me that I want to get back to reading a manga that I started, which was called One Punch Man. Which was a really oh, yeah. interesting... They've actually started an anime series of that as well. Oh, interesting. Well, I, I 
I'd probably stick with the manga. I don't know. I, I find that usually has more depth. But uh, Usually the manga has more depth. I'm usually an anime guy myself, but occasionally I'll uh, read a manga if somebody says it's good enough. As long as it's or translated it's well. To check out. But I like that because it was about a guy who is so powerful that he can beat any enemy in one punch. Yeah. And he's all depressed because that's the most boring thing imaginable and he feels like he has no challenge. That's a, that's a fun twist on the situation. Yeah, I've... Uh, uh, for a while, I actually followed a podcast over on that guy with the glasses called Weekly Manga Recap, where hmm. every week they uh, review a different manga, and that was one of them that they uh, reviewed. They actually liked that one a lot. Hmm. Oh, good to know. I don't think it went on forever either. Yeah. So that helps. There's another. There's a series that I've uh, been wanting to pick up for a long time as well called the Yotsuba. Oh, what's that? Any of you have heard of that one? Uh, have you? Well, have you heard of Azumanga Daio? Yes. Well, it's about Basically, the same slice author. of life with a bunch of girls. Yeah, it's the original the same uh, slice of life that has a, a bunch of knockoffs. Very, very similar, cutesy kind of style, but uh, well, Azumanga as Bianca said, was about a bunch of the daily lives of a bunch of schoolgirls. It's very lighthearted, very uh, relaxingly paced, and Yotsuba is about this. Uh, <clears throat> Well, elementary school uh, age girl who moves to a new home with her single father and she has a whole bunch of well I guess you could say adventures exploring her new neighborhood and, and meeting the the neighbors and all that it's very cute and funny I have uh, I think the first three volumes of it but I never bought it to collect the others but it uh, I always really enjoyed it so I should check out the rest sometime hmm. Um, before we get into our topic today, uh, Brian and I had made an observation regarding uh, our Androids. We were trying to set alarms on our on our Android devices and using the OK Google functions. <laughs> yeah, we're just making sure that our phones decided not to respond just now. And we know, and we noticed something interesting. I used the phrase "set timer," set a timer for for five minutes. Brian used set a time, set an alarm for five minutes. What happened when you, the result is actually different. When you say set a timer for X amount of time, Google will uh, set the timer, but it won't start it until you press, until you tap the uh, button. In oh, the, and it was a countdown timer, yeah. like a stopwatch sort of. Yeah. Whereas if you say set an alarm, it immediately starts the countdown from the moment it starts. It's the moment it sets it. That's right. Mm. So I, I like to say things like, I can either say set an alarm for five minutes or I can say remind me in 30 minutes to get the laundry and then it will it will buzz me either with just an alarm or with a reminder for what I told it to remind me of. Mm-hmm. We, we discovered this when we were trying when I was trying to set an alarm or a timer for something I had in the oven I, that I just wanted to have for five more minutes. Mm. Oh, we also uh, I also found a, a renewed appreciation for uh, Google Now's uh, voice tuning because you can tune it to only listen to the pitch of your own voice so that other people, wives for example, can't troll you by saying a bunch of bullshit while you're trying to tell it something. We were in bed. We were in bed, and we were. I was trying to find out when uh, a store, Canadian Tire, opens the next day. So I told it. I, I told it. Okay, Google, when does Canadian Tire on Laird Avenue open tomorrow? And of course, meanwhile, she's saying like "ran ran sandwich salamander horse." I don't, do, I don't do sandwich salamander horse. You're the former, you're the salamandering 
or sandwich. Oh, what did I you think, say? I said snarl barnge. Oh, she said snarl barnge. <laughs> so it, 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 while she's yammering over top of me, uh, my amazing uh, Google voice detection thing only listened to me and ignored her, which is so cool. So boy, am I thankful for that. We we refer to this feature as Rablock <laughs> because <laughs> one of us would be talking and the other person would go <laughs> and basically make a whole bunch of noise and try and uh, confuse uh, okay Google <laughs> and uh, prevent it from doing a proper voice search so that's Rablock <laughs> <laughs> I love the voice uh, voice search functionality though it's great when I'm in the car it's great if I'm too lazy to type something out and it's great if you just want a verbal answer for something I like asking it if we need a an umbrella for tomorrow or... Uh, Google, translate into X language, my husband is an asshole. Oh, yeah, that's right. I We know how to say my husband is an asshole in what, like Japanese, German, Korean, Italian, <laughs> Spanish? <laughs> it's a very helpful tool and a big boon to mankind. Oh, definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah, and there's uh, also in technology news, there's an up... The first major update for Windows 10 is coming out. Oh, in less than two weeks. It comes out on November 2nd, I think. That's a, Oh, that's in eight days. Awesome. Do we know what this update's going to uh, address? Oh, right. I, I can't remember. They uh, Microsoft was referring to this as Threshold 2. I believe these were features that they had originally intended to release with Windows 10 when it was launched, but they delayed a few more superficial features. I believe one of the features being launched is Cortana like a personal assistant voice search thing. It's only available. uh, Kind of like Siri. Yeah. It's like Siri or it's like Google now. Um, But it's, it's, I think it's more like Siri because it's kind of chit chatty and you can ask it to tell you jokes and stuff. Whereas Google now is kind of all business. Um, I think it's only available in the USA right now, or maybe in a couple of territories, not in Canada, but it's coming to, I think 10 or so more countries. So I believe Canada is going to be one of them. So hopefully we get that next week. Um, Otherwise, you're going to change your uh, country to the U.S. just so you can play around with it again. Yeah, that's right. I did that a while ago, and, and then it put and then it put my uh, my temperature in Fahrenheit and all this crazy American bull crap like measuring in feet instead of meters. What the fuck's a foot? <laughs> I don't know. You got two of them on top to bum your uh, legs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think they were also going to I'm, – I'm struggling to find information about it here. I think they were going to add some more functionality to the Microsoft Edge web browser, which has some promise, but it's not much of anything right now. No uh, extensions for the Edge browser until next year, so that's a shame. Oh, and yeah, – I'm comfortable with Chrome myself, and I'm still using Windows 7, so. Mm. Oh, not, not planning on upgrading to Windows 10? Not anytime soon. Oh, your loss. I love it. Um, yeah. Windows 7 is uh, more than enough for me, personally. Yeah, I mean, Windows 7 is great. I was, I was stuck with Windows XP for the longest time, so... Oh, that's true. So Windows 7 is still new to you. Well, yeah. Yeah, but... To your computer, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's good. Oh, and, and, and they were also going to add to Windows 10 uh, integrated Skype instant messaging. So that's kind of nice because a bunch of my Twitter friends, inexplicably, I've never really known anyone who uses Skype as an instant messenger, but a lot of my Twitter buddies do, and I never keep well, Skype I, running. I use it all the time for that. I don't know if that's a just like an outside of North America kind of thing or what, because it's a pretty uh, heavy client to have running. And um, 
Yeah, got one of the little bastards. Oh, you gotta, you gotta fly. Oh, good job. Why don't you go wash your hands? <laughs> we have this yucky like fruit fly infestation all over Toronto. It's at my work. Yeah, that sucks. Half an hour north of our place, and we have been battling with them in our kitchen and stuff. So we, can't we always can't you hang up some uh, fly paper or something? Uh, no, because we have birds and just. Yeah, we have to be really oh, yeah. careful about fumes and sticky things and stuff like that. So we've been kind of so instead we have them. um we have uh, just uh, little traps that are located in the vicinity of the meat of the general infestation, which seems to be our kitchen. And I think they're coming through a vent above my sink. Yeah, we think so. They're coming from outside. No, that's no good. Although I did, I know I'm I'm straying from whatever the hell I was talking about, but I, I we did find a. Like a hundred and something year old farmer's remedy for uh, getting fruit flies, and that is you get milk, sugar, and black pepper, and you simmer it for like 10 minutes in a saucepan, and you pour it into a bowl, and you just leave it out. And oh, and then at the very end, you put in a little bit of dish soap. And so the, the, the pepperiness and the sweetness of this milk solution attracts flies and the soap on top of it creates uh, like this kind of surface tension where if anything lands on it, it immediately pulls it right under. So that that worked pretty well for us. It's just a, you have to change it every few days. Otherwise milk doesn't exactly appreciate the value when it's out on your counter. Yep. But that did a pretty good job. And we also discovered that wine seems to attract them too. Oh yeah. That was gross. Yeah, it was. My dad had asked for a glass of wine with the dinner on Friday. We had some in our fridge, so we happily accommodated him. <laughs> Turns out that the flies appreciated it as well. There well was like- he, he drank his he drank his wine, and then he left his uh, cup on the counter. And then when yeah. I checked on it half an hour later, there were flies all over it. So maybe we can yeah. work that into a trap. But that was pretty yucky. Mm-hmm. But I think we've I think they're almost all gone now. Hopefully, the winter will kill the little fuckers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. If not, anyway, we'll stick yeah, some my... rubbing alcohol in a spray bottle and uh, a... Oh, alcohol in a spray bottle. Yeah, rubbing alcohol in a spray bottle. It's supposed to just oh. blast the little bastards. Oh. Oh, well, sorry, you were going to say something? Uh, yeah, I was just saying my uh, phone was whining because the battery's low, so I need to go plug it in real quick. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, speaking of which, that's been my favorite feature of the new uh, Google... 6.0 Marshmallow OS release. They have this like super low power sleep mode so that your phone isn't all busy overnight while you're sleeping and it uses way less uh, power overnight now. So I don't have to be quite so uh, anal about keeping it plugged in all the time and being worried that it'll I'll wake up with no battery and have to last the day like that. So that's been a really nice improvement. Well, my uh, phone has a power saving mode as well. Hmm. Ours has, like, a, a special low battery mode for when you have, like, 15% of your battery left, and it turns off some of the radios and disables some background – or all background apps from using the internet. But I guess this kind of uh, – excuse you. This kind of extends that to uh, when you don't uh, turn on the low power mode. It does it overnight, so I'm enjoying that. Yes, it is. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Akago, have you been playing anything uh, fun this past uh, week or two? Well, considering how busy I've been, I haven't really had a chance to uh, get on with what I was playing before, so I haven't really been playing much new. I'm still playing uh, Xenonauts primarily. Mm-hmm. That's been 
Mm, going well for the most part. You know, people dying here and there. Oh, that was the, uh, in the those kind of games. That was the XCOM style game. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, PC uh, Gamer Podcast was talking about that, and they said that they, they thought it was harder than the original XCOM, which was already very hard. Yeah, I'm playing on the easiest difficulty, and things have been going well for the most part, but I'm still having trouble in some areas. Like, uh, yeah, you know, because you start out with just one base and limited radar coverage, you pretty much have to build extra bases across the world to uh, expand your radar coverage so you can see UFOs coming from uh, more locations at once. Oh, a fog of war kind of a thing? Uh, no, it's just that, you know, your radar can only co- uh, pick up UFOs in a certain radius. So, mm. plus, uh, you know, if you, it's to send out interceptors to shoot down UFOs or to send out an, uh, a dropship to carry soldiers to a certain location. That Those have limited range as well, so you would need to build bases uh, closer in the vicinity of uh, these other locations so that your uh, soldiers and your interceptors can reach those as well. Okay. But, of course, it's, it's hard to set up a new base because, first, you need to pay for the base itself, which costs, like, 500,000 credits. And then you need to outfit it with all the different uh, rooms that you need, like laboratories and workshops and storerooms and crew quarters and hangers and all that sort of thing that costs even more money. Then you need to hire all the additional personnel. Then you need to hire soldiers, etc., etc. And, of course... Uh, actually getting your soldiers uh, trained up enough in terms of experience uh, by sending them out and actually getting them back alive takes time and effort as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, and all of your credits are earned basically based on your success rate too, aren't they? Yeah. So like, that's uh, a lot of pressure. At the end of every, at, at the end of every month, you uh, <clears throat> your, your uh, progress is evaluated by the funding nations and depending on your uh, – Depending on how well or how badly you've been doing, they'll give you more or less money. Mm-hmm. So that's like constant pressure to always be accomplishing things. Yeah, exactly. But I've been doing fairly well. I've developed laser weapons now and wolf armor, which provides substantial extra layer of protection for my units. Although at the cost of movement speed for the less experienced ones. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's better than nothing. Oh, is that one of the technologies that you steal from the aliens? Yeah. Hmm. Like, you start out with basically no armor, so your uh, units will drop dead at the <clears throat> slightest provocation. Then you go up to jackal armor, which is uh, the basic extra layer of protection. Then you get wolf armor, which is even more advanced. And I've had... Soldiers being shot at point blank with plasma shotguns, and they take no damage at all. Oh, sweet. No, that's cool. But yeah, I'm still a ways off from uh, finishing that anytime soon, so. Hmm. Then that's the kind of game that's dynamic enough that you can play it over and over. It's kind of a civilization sort of a thing, isn't it? Where it'll be a little uh, bit different. Yeah, but you, you do have an uh, end goal in uh, right. gradually. You know, researching technology and capturing aliens and stuff like that and eventually figuring out, you know, where are they hiding and then launching a final assault on their uh, main base. At least that's how it went in XCOM. I don't know if Xenonauts has any uh, surprises along those lines as it goes along. Is the main base on Earth or in space? Uh, In XCOM, it was on Mars. Ah, 
basically that's the end game. You discover they have a base on Mars and then you send out whatever units you can to Mars in a last ditch effort to destroy the, uh, their master brain, basically. Ah. Once you finish that, then uh, you win the game. Okay. So that just depends on your on your technology and your ability to scan? Yeah, but, well, basically just uh, completing all the different objectives that uh, are presented to you as the game progresses. Hmm. Well, sounds stressful as hell to me. It is, but it's fun nonetheless uh, to see everything, uh, to see all your efforts pay off, everything come together. Like the second base I set up is coming along pretty nicely. Got a bunch of soldiers uh, named after Francisco Gonzalez and Ben Chandler. <laughs> and you, actually. Oh. Sadly, uh, you died the other day. <laughs> yeah, I do that. It's like when we name uh, the uh, four pe- members of the party in Oregon Trail after people we know. Right, or after <laughs> our birds. Yeah. Oh, oh look, right. Maxie has a broken foot again. <laughs> yeah, I uh, played a game of Oregon Trail on a stream one time, and uh, my buddy Fre- Frederick, little Norwegians, he uh, died when we tried to cross a river, and the uh, wagon tipped over, and he drowned. He's never forgiven me for that one. <laughs> I'll be back in a moment. You guys continue talking about what you played this week, and then I'll talk about what I played. Yes, dear. Uh, yeah. All right. Is that all you played uh, this past little while? Oh, no, I've got some uh, more stuff if you want to hear it. Of course. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, between Xenonauts, uh, per uh, Little Norwegian's recommendation, since, you know, it's Halloween and all, I thought I'd check out Resident Evil 3, since I've never played that before. Mm. Was that for the PS1? Yeah, mm-hmm. so part of, the, part of the original trilogy released for that system. Um, I didn't really get that far in it, mostly because I was busy with other stuff, so... But basic, uh, it's kind of uh, in the like alone in the dark style gameplay, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's still the same uh, Resident Evil style, you know, tank controls, pre-rendered mm. graphics with uh, polygonal characters on top of them, and uh, but the thing with this one is, it, take, it takes place during the same kind of scenario uh, as in Resident Evil Two. You know, the whole uh, city's been infested with zombies and monsters and all that. But you're playing as a different character, following her own kind of storyline. And uh, the thing is, the world feels a lot more open this time. Like in the early Resident Evil games, you were confined to basically a single location. And you were, uh, you know, kind of exploring around, finding keys to open doors, basically uh, exploring further and further. Here, you're basically uh, running around the city streets. You have all these different locations you can visit, but, you know, the basic setup is the same. You still collect keys to open doors, fight zombies and monsters along the way, but it feels a lot bigger, and as a result, it was kind of just aimlessly running around, not really sure where to go. Oh, okay. That was still early Uh, days, I guess, so we were still kind of figuring out the right way to open up a world, but lead people to meaningful encounters. Yeah, I suppose. But... But an added complication to that, because uh, added complication to all that is that uh, in this game you're being chased around by this uh, big monster named Nemesis. Ooh, Nemesis! That's an original name. Never thought of that one before. <laughs> yeah, but 
he basically uh, kind of appears at random as you're running around, and he's pretty much unkillable, and he will do terrible, terrible damage to you if he gets a hold of you. Like, he can grab you by the throat and throw you around, or he's uh, carrying around a rocket launcher, which does massive amounts of damage to you if it hits. So pretty much your only choice is to run away from him. Oh, so you're, you're always running from him, but you don't necessarily know where to? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, combined with the general aimlessness of where it was supposed to go at first, that kind of annoyed me. Yeah, I guess that balance was kind of struck a little bit more carefully in that recent uh, Aliens game that you played. Yeah. Where you, at least you have an objective of generally where you know you're going, but you do have something yeah. chasing you. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. But, you know, it's uh, it's not a, a terrible game overall. Although, one thing that did kind of annoy me, I mentioned uh, it takes place in the same time frame as Resident Evil 2, so they actually reused a lot of assets from that game as well. Oh, that's unfortunate. Like, yeah, like you explore some of the same locations that use the exact same backgrounds and character models for some of the uh, well, characters and monsters are reused in places. So it feels kind of uh, kind of cheap in, in places. That's really too bad. It was a limited system, the PS One, but that's we're not an excuse. Yeah, but, not an excuse for making new assets. Yeah, but I get I get the feeling that they were churning these games out pretty quickly as well. So that might have had something to do with it. That's true. I don't know how so, close to the end of that uh, system's life it came. That game was, but uh, maybe they were racing. Uh, I think around. Uh, well, I'm not actually not entirely sure anymore. Actually, I think it must have been like like ninety nine two thousand. Yeah, that sounds about right. Around where the Dreamcast was coming out, and then the PS2 came out. Yeah. So they I probably knew when the PS2 was coming out, and they wanted to make sure that enough people bought this one before Resident Evil Four came out. That was PS. Yeah, that was PS2. Well, yeah, I was about to say the next uh, big Resident Evil game that came out was actually on the Dreamcast, uh, Code Veronica. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. I haven't actually played that one yet either, but I hear they did actually make some significant changes to the formula with that one compared to the previous three. Mm. I miss my Dreamcast. We have a Dreamcast. Uh, I never owned one, unfortunately, but I have the uh, GameCube re-release of Code Veronica, so I can at least play that when it comes comes to it. Probably better on the GameCube. Maybe. Maybe. Dreamcast is a great system. I like yeah, I've much. been meaning to pick one up, but I uh, I don't know uh, if there are any games on it necessarily that would interest me. Uh, but we're kind of going off uh, going off track. Oh, that's what we do around here, but uh, no problem. <laughs> what, <laughs> yeah, what else you got one, on your one, list? One last game I wanted to mention was Donkey Kong on the uh, original Nintendo Game Boy. Oh wow! Which is actually my favorite uh, Game Boy game of all time. Hmm. Because uh, for the longest, well, for the longest time, I was only a PC gamer uh, until sometime in the '90s, my brother got a Game Boy uh, for his birthday, and of course, I played on it as well. But it was only recently that I finally picked up a Game Boy Advance SP to finally play my old Game Boy games on again. Mm-hmm. So I figured, well, I'd uh, pop in. Uh, Good old Donkey Kong for old time's sakes, and I've been really enjoying that again, even though I've played it plenty of times in the past. Is that a port of the arcade game? Partially. 
Because the way it starts out, you got the uh, you know same basic setup. You got Mario's girlfriend, I guess Pauline, who gets kidnapped by Donkey Kong and taken up this construction yard. So you know you go through it with, uh, one screen at a time, uh, climbing up ladders, dodging barrels, and all that. But once you finally rescue Pauline and uh, beat Donkey Kong, then suddenly he gets up again, kidnaps her again, and then the real game begins, where you're going through all these different worlds, chasing after Donkey Kong. And it becomes more of a puzzle platformer. Like in each level, there's a door. And to open it, you need to find a key. But, you know, there's a whole bunch of different obstacles that get in your way, like uh, conveyor belts and ladders and enemies. And you need to use these different uh, objects that let you place, uh, like ladders or... uh, springboards to let you move around and using that you have to figure out a way to get the key over to the door and move on to the next level how strange those are not gameplay mechanics that i would really equate with donkey kong yeah probably not but it's still a very fun game overall because you also have a lot of different special moves that uh, that you can use to move around like mario can do handstands and somersaults and stuff like that hmm uh, kind of the same stuff he later did in some of the 3D games. Uh, so this was actually the first game to incorporate those kind of moves. That's really something. I guess this game is probably from the late 80s? Uh, no, it was actually in uh, from 1994. Whoa, that is late for the original Game Boy. Yeah, uh, it actually has built-in uh, Super Game Boy functionality as well. So uh, if you play it on the Super Game Boy, then you get you know full-color uh, graphics and a cool little... Oh, background? Uh, yeah, background where it's modeled after the original Donkey Kong uh, arcade machine. That's impressive. It must have had a lot of storage on the cartridge by then, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, it's a really fun game. It has a lot of variety, a lot of levels. But overall, it's still pretty easy if you uh, kind of know what you're doing. Hmm. But it also has some really uh, cool boss battles. Uh, like, at the end of every world, you face off against Donkey Kong as he's throwing barrels at you, and you need to throw them back at him. And near the end of the game, they do some pretty interesting stuff like that. I didn't want to spoil too much if you haven't played it. But the final battle is, uh, re- really comes out of nowhere, and it's really, really damn cool. Hmm. That's really something that's way more depth than I would expect from a Donkey Kong game, especially on that platform. Oh, yeah. But like I, I said, it, it, it's my favorite game on the system out of the ones that I've played. Hmm. Yeah, that's probably not far from whenever Donkey Kong Country must have been released on the Super uh, Nintendo. Yeah. I'm going to look that up. Uh, I think Donkey Kong Country must have been 94, 95 as well. They actually ported that to the original Game Boy as well, but they call it Donkey Kong Land. Oh, that's right. It was 94. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Because yeah, I think this is also the first game that uh, that they give gave Donkey Kong a new look, where he's wearing a tie. Oh right! Wow, there were three Donkey Kong Land games for the original Game Boy, hmm. all the way up yeah. to 1997. I had no idea they made Game Boy games in '97. That's incredible. Yeah, it was. Um, I'm not sure when it was. I think it was '99 that they introduced the Game Boy Color. Was that even earlier? Might have been earlier. Hmm. Yeah, they uh, they introduced the Game Boy Color sometime in the late nineties. Then, and 
then finally after that you finally got the Game Boy Advance which uh, upped the uh, hardware considerably yeah big time I uh, I need to pick up some Game Boy Advance games the only ones I only ever had were uh, I think Super Met uh, I mean Metroid Fusion which was a really good game and actually the uh, Game Boy Advance version of the original Broken Sword oh wow had no idea it was on that. That's a very limited platform for an adventure game, too. Yeah, but they actually made it work really well. Like the, well, they had to cut down the original cutscenes where it's just still images with text over them. But the interface was actually reworked to where uh, you basically control your character, uh, move him around the screen just by using the D-pad, and right. whenever you move near something you can interact with, then. The icons would appear along the top of the screen. You could select what you wanted to do with them. That's neat. That's like Grim Fandango style, kind of. Yeah, more or less. That's pretty damn impressive, especially, I guess, the... I don't know what resolution the Game Boy Advance screen was, but... Uh, Slightly bigger than the original uh, Game Boy. The original Game Boy, I think, was 4x3, but the Game Boy Advance was a bit more wider than that. Sure, but it was only, like, I don't know, 250 by 200 pixels or something like that, if I'm remembering right. And that's uh, the original DOS one was in that uh, Super VGA 640 by 480. Yeah. So that's incredible if they could have any sort of fidelity downscaling it to like a third of the resolution. Yeah, but I think the Game Boy Advance version did have scrolling uh, backgrounds in places to kind of fit them in, uh, fit them all in. Ah, uh, yeah, that, that wouldn't surprise me. I could be wrong about that. It's been a long time since I played it, and I've since uh, moved on to playing the original DOS version anyway. Mm-hmm. That's the way to go, I think. Yeah. Moby Games says that they called it Circle of Blood, the original Broken Yeah, that, that's what it was called in America. Ah, interesting. Man, this looks incredible for a Game Boy Advance game. Wow. Okay, now I'm real curious. Game Boy Advance resolution. Hmm. Because that looks way better than I was expecting it to. Oh, yeah, man. Just just remember, there's one last uh, little game that I wanted to talk about. Oh, go ahead. Uh, it's a weird one called Breakfast at Cemetery. Bon Appetit. <laughs> what? That's a stoop. <laughs> That's pretty funny. What's that all about? Uh, it's kind of a weird little indie game where you're a skeleton. Of course. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, you know, he uh, wakes up every morning to, you know, do his little hauntings around the cemetery. But to do that, he needs to eat his breakfast. Okay. So well, what the game is, basically, uh, you're sitting at a, your breakfast table and you're controlling the skeleton's arm with your uh, mouse. And, you know, every level you have a limited amount of time to eat all the different food items that are on the table, like... One level you have waffles, then the next day you have toast with a fried egg, that sort of thing. So you have to pick uh, pick that stuff up and move it towards your mouth and eat it uh, before time runs out. That's really cute. Yeah. And while you're doing that, there's this uh, really hard rock soundtrack going on in the back to make it seem... A lot more, you know, heavy than uh, it's than what it actually is, but uh, it's it's pretty tricky in places, you know, because it's uh, got a uh, kind of physics engine going on, and you can only pick up certain objects by first picking up a fork and then jabbing whatever you're trying to pick up on the fork, and then moving it towards your mouth, and without 
having it fall off uh, along the way as well. Oh, so is it sort of like one of those like quote unquote simulator games, physics? Uh, yeah, kind of kind of, but it's in 2D. Ah. And another complication is that every once in a while a ghost will uh, come down and he'll try and steal something off of your table. It's like you're trying to eat dinner when you own budgies. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But yeah, it's uh, really wacky and it's a lot of uh, fun just uh, messing around. But it's also pretty damn tricky trying to make it through certain uh, portions. Like, I've been stuck for the longest time in this one level where you first have to pick up a, a bottle of maple syrup and smear it all over these waffles that are on your table. And then you jab the waffles onto your fork and you try to move them to your mouth without letting them fall. Hmm. That's very cute. Yeah. It sounds charming. It's on, uh, what's it called? This <coughs> site called uh, itch.io. There's a lot of different indie uh, games for sale on there and it costs mm, probably not much more than a few bucks. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the go-to site for indies nowadays, it seems. Uh, I, I'd never heard of it until I looked up the game because I'd seen uh, Joel from Vinesaw stream it at one point. It was really damn funny. You should, you should ch- uh, if nothing else, check out that video because his reaction to it is hilarious. I will do that. I'll put that in the show notes. Vinesaw. Oh, by the way, now that we have a break in the conversation, the original Game Boy screen resolution was 160 by 144. And the oh. Game Boy Advance is 240 by 160. So you're right. And that's an interesting 3 by 2 aspect ratio. Hmm. Which is really... That's, uh, that's not a lot to work with, but they made it work somehow. It looks incredible somehow. I don't know how the hell they did it. it looks fantastic. Yeah, neato. Oh, well, that, that Bon Appetit game sounds super cute. <laughs> it is. Oh, one additional hilarious thing is... Uh, you know, the skeleton, he has all his uh, internal organs and everything and his eyeballs. But, you know, if you uh, if you grab a fork and you move it towards your own face, you can actually scoop out your own eye and eat that. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> well, that's another which, perfect Halloween which more, game. more often than not happens completely by accident. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's very cute. Oh, this I got to see. That sounds adorable. Well, that's great. Anything else uh, that you played recently worth mentioning? Uh, not particularly, so yeah, you uh, pick it up from here then. All right, Tootsie, you want to go first? Uh, sure, let's see. I'm, I didn't play too many games this week, mainly because I was uh, I picked up uh, South Park, The Stick of Truth, and I oh. wound up wanting to finish it. <laughs> yeah, you finished it in about a week, didn't yep. you? Let's see, according to Steam, how many hours of play was that? Um... I got 16 hours of playtime out of that. Holy shit. I thought I was almost done it, but I only had about six hours. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So but that's every side quest and wow. the main quest and just going in and looking for all the little things to discover. And I still haven't found everything. Oh, so it's an RPG. It's by Obsidian, which made... What do they make? They made Knights of the Old Republic 2. Uh, they made Alpha Protocol, Fallout New Vegas... Yeah, so they're like a serious hardcore RPG developer, and this was a very silly game, but it it had pretty clever combat. It was very complex, intricate combat. 
buffs and debuffs and uh, mm-hmm. it was pretty complex, order. but and but it wasn't as many. It didn't get as many buttons as I feared I was going to get. Plus, yeah, um, it, it, it has kind of a similar uh, battle system to the uh, Paper Mario or Mario and Luigi games, where you actually can. You know, press certain buttons at specific times to do additional damage or avoid taking damage yourself. Yes, yeah, that's right. The idea is you want to block the incoming damage, and if you successfully block it up and you do it at the right pace, you could also counterattack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what I but what I found most disturbing in this game was they were pretty. They were quite true to a lot of the star of the. I was going to say Star Trek, but I'm too much. Let's try that again. <laughs> to the South Park uh, world, they had you, they really immersed, immersed you in the world with a few of the uh, things that they brought you through. For example, they uh, brought in the underpants gnomes and they shrank <laughs> you down. So you became, so you had to chase the underpants gnomes through the walls in your house. Mm-hmm. Uh, which culminated in a battle against the underpants gnome warlock who you had to fight in order to get the uh, spell so you could make yourself big again. But then that spell would allow you to shrink yourself and make yourself big at will. But in order to do it, you look like you were snorting like this pixie dust every time you did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like South Park, all right. Mm-hmm. This is really a kind of crude uh, sh- shock humor, I guess. It was very crude. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So th- that fight wound up with you on your parents' bed, and with you fighting this gnome. And your parents are completely oblivious to you because, well, they're in the middle of doing their parent business. <laughs> oh my god! And oh, so, at the, so the fight against the warlock culminates with him being crushed by your mom's boob, and you narrowly missed being crushed by your dad's balls. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Um, another, let's see, uh, they pay uh, tribute to uh, the frog print, to the uh, to the uh, sparrow prince and all those people, and the uh, catfish. Oh, the Lemmy Winks people? Yeah, you, you have you basically relive Lemmy Winks, but you have to uh, disarm a snook. Uh-huh. Uh, of course, it's right at the end of the game. So everyone's sitting around going, gee, I wonder who can uh, make themselves small and is willing to and know something about, you know, this and is willing to put themselves in particular danger. And all the characters on screen are talking like this. Well, you're set off to one side. And it's like, gee, do you think you could have made it any more obvious that I'm clearly the one to have to go do this horrible <laughs> job? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the joke. Mm-hmm. Oh, I quite liked uh, when you showed me that you get to visit Canada in the game. Yeah, <laughs> and when you first arrive, you have you basically listen. I had to listen to the national anthem so many times. It was like teeny eight bit sound version of the national anthem. I'm going, I am going, I am. I'm have the stupid. I have the stupid anthem stuck in my head now. I'm like, I just want to finish this area. <laughs> oh, and the overworld looked like uh, the original Dragon Warrior for the NES. It was like an old school top down RPG map. Hmm. With something that said Winnipeg and something that said Vancouver and something that said Bam Ottawa. And Ottawa. Bam. And the ca- and the, the caverns of Quebec where the minister <laughs> of Montreal was banished by the Prince of Canada. Oh, that's too funny. <laughs> mm. And you had to rescue him, but and after but the but the prince wouldn't release him even after he carried out the prince's wishes to ca- to kill the minister of Bamp because they had religious differences. <laughs> 
So would you recommend this game? Uh, it's, if you have a high tolerance... Hi, Bart. If you have a high tolerance for crass language and uh, generally uh, crude jokes, it's worth playing through. I actually had fun. Once, if you ignore the fact that a lot of the game is pretty stupid, it's pretty fun. It's um, it's fun just to explore South Park and uh, immerse yourself in the world that you're usually used to watching on TV. Mm-hmm. The combat's yeah, a, not too bad. Once you figure out how to actually... reason why I probably wouldn't enjoy it, because I can't uh, get into that kind of humor. Uh-huh. Uh, plus, it's an RPG. I'm not generally too fond of those either. Mm. But, but I can definitely see why people would enjoy it. The classes were interesting. Oh, yeah, what are the classes? Yeah, there's Thief, Warrior... <laughs> uh, Thief, Warrior, Mage, and Jew? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can be a Jew. That's one of the classes. Yeah, and the gear, and then you pick up all sorts of gear throughout the game. There's even one point where you have to recruit the girls. And in order to do a mission for them, they're like, okay, you know what? We're going to dress you up as a girl and you go do this thing now. And the, the stuff you do with the girls is all this horrible backstabbing garbage. They want to figure out who who the biggest two-faced bitch is that's betraying them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's cute. So they sort of do slice-of-life hints. Yeah, they story. do that. And you can walk into people's houses. A few houses you walk into, like these people are engaged in things that are only supposed to happen behind closed doors. And they freak out when you open their door. <laughs> ah. <laughs> But yeah, and then you can open, you can go into the garages, you can find, and then you just find all these different things, and then you can sell your stuff to get better gear. Yeah, I, I like that aspect of the game, snooping around in people's houses, and it just shows all these little artifacts from over the course of the show, which reminds you what that person has been through, and all the little vendor trash things that you pick up that you their their purpose is just to be sold. Those yeah. are all little references to the old episodes as well. Mm-hmm. Lots and, of fan service. Yeah, and some of the uh, food that you eat. For your health, mana, and damage up is stuff that has appeared in the show. For example, cheesy poofs you eat for your health. Mm-hmm. You get health back by eating cheesy poofs. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's a pretty good one. I played as a thief, and and uh, basically, I say nothing until the end of the game, and. When at the very end of the game, you get the option to press the A button. Well, actually, you have no choice but to press the A button, and then that's when you say your big line. <laughs> and then that, that's the end of the game. Oh, you're silent protagonist of the last scene? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if anyone's really going to play it, so here we go. <laughs> no, don't spoil it. I'll play it. Okay. <laughs> so, no, here we don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't be spoiling it then. Good. Good. Uh, Let's see. What, what else, else did we play? play? Well, I started playing The Golden Wake. I really, yeah. I just got my character to uh, Miami, and I've completed the first major puzzle of trying to figure out uh, who to sell uh, which house to. And I got an achievement because I managed, with a bit of help from Brian, to yeah. not use the in-game hint system to figure out who to lo- who uh, is best suited to which house. So yeah, I got nice. the Magic King achievement for that. Mm-hmm. Oh, and haha, she got. Uh... She played the intro to the game. It's not a spoiler because it's in the first five minutes. She played the intro to the game. She got herself fired. She's like, oh, I don't want that. I don't want that to happen. I'm restarting the whole game. So she restarted. I'm like, I'm, I'm rolling my eyes. I'm like, this is a Legend Eye game. They don't, they don't pull that kind of BS on you. She restarted the whole game and skipped all the dialogue and tried something different. And then it got her to the same place. So I think you're a little more versed in the Wadget Eye design style now. Although you did play all the 
every one of the Blackwell games. Yes, I did. I played every, and I watched you play for the most part that oh, Techno Babylon, Babylon and mm-hmm. I uh, did mm-hmm. beta test Shard Light. Yes, we did. Some of it. Yes, yeah, some of it. I, I should say I beta tested the original, the first D Alpha that was released. We Alpha tested it. Yeah, Alpha tested. <laughs> That's right. Oh, you're gonna. I think you're really gonna like uh, uh, Golden Wake. Yep. It's a it's a great it's it's a great story of like the uh, it's an underdog story. It's a story about someone who might have risen to greater heights, but kind of never does. So mm-hmm. it's great to hear a story about a more ordinary person doing more ordinary things. Yeah, there are some yeah. fantastical things in it, but yeah, it uh, definitely seems like an interesting kind of scenario for a well, unusual scenario for an uh, point and click adventure game. Yeah, so I'm. Definitely looking forward to trying it out myself sometime. Oh yeah. yeah, if you if you like Wedged Eye games, I think this is as good as any of them. Yeah, and it's got good dialogue. That's what makes the difference in these games. If you want to have an ordinary scenario, you have it's it's witty and intelligent dialogue that can make a difference between a sort of mech game and a, a really good game. And this game oh, yeah. has fantastic dialogue. I thought so. From what I've seen so far, I really like. I really like Doc. D- Dahmers? Doc Dammers, yeah. Doc Dammers, yeah. I like his character design. He looks so happy when he's addressing you, and he has a gr- and has an excellent voice actor behind him. I think that's um, I think it's Abe Goldfarb who played Joey. Ah, oh, that's why I liked him. Yeah, I he's like very Joey. exuberant and okay, blowy. Blowy. He's very he's 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 uh like charming and charismatic. That voice, mm-hmm. and enthusiastic. I like that boy. He's a great voice actor. Yeah, he is. Uh-huh. But I love uh, cool. I love Francisco cool Gonzalez. We use voice actors like that. Yeah, it is. They kind of keep it in the family to some extent, and he's he's yeah, kind of like what Telltale does as well. Yeah, that's right. Although I kind of get tired of Telltale doing it. Mm. They, they they do it a lot. So I, I think uh, Francisco Gonzalez is a very charming writer. Yeah, he is. I like his characters. He, I like his narrators. He's, he's charming. Period. Isn't he? <laughs> I'm swooning in my chair here. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, who was the uh, artist? Was he also the artist for that game? Yeah, he did pretty much the whole thing by himself, except for the sound, I think. He did wow. the programming, the art, the writing. Very, very impressive. <laughs> and I guess that's into the... Uh, and then Wajirai Games bought the rights from him? That was the... F- I believe that was the the game that he produced. I think he pitched it to them, and they hired him full-time. Mm. And so he released it. It was always a Wajirai game, or at least... Since it would started getting into production, as far as I know. Ah, Francisco, nice. please correct us if we're misrepresenting. And Francisco, good job so far. I can't wait to finish it. I love it so. I love what I'm uh, seeing. Oh yeah. Let's see what else we played. Ah, here's two, we have two games upcoming in this list that uh, we've been that we played co-op. The first of which is Guild Wars Two, and the reason we've been playing it was because the expansion for it, Heart of Thorn, just came out this week. Yesterday, I th- yes, think. yes, yeah, yesterday it came out. Um, we haven't got to the expansion, most of the expansion content yet because it's higher level. It's, I believe it's level eighty. Yeah, I, I touched it a little bit. I found it hard, and they've changed the game. Well, this is a game we both played since the beta. Yeah. I say since, but like we played it in beta, we played it when it came out, and then we left it alone for like a year or something. And I went to play World of Warcraft. You which, and me both. Yeah, and and what Blizzard does did was simplified its uh, 
its skill structure, whereas Guild Wars, the whereas the Guild Wars team went in the opposite direction and made it more complex, but not complex in a bad way. Complex in a nice way. Well, they, they simplified. I think. Sorry to interrupt you. You go ahead first. Yeah, they they made it complex in a nice way because it doesn't feel like they're insulting your intelligence by limiting your options. It, they uh, they're actually playing up the fact that you have to earn all these skill points, and so they're making it feel worthwhile to go out and find. Beep, beep, yes, Kimmy. <laughs> to go out and farm all these skill points. That way you can unlock more skills and you become more powerful and it feels like you're actually doing something every time you go out and you fight one of these challenges to get a talent point and to continue leveling up. Yeah, there's external progression where you're where you're accomplishing deeds and seeing more of the world. There's also internal progression where you pretty much always have new stuff to unlock for your character, new abilities and new mm-hmm. improvements. So Even if they're nice. like micro-improvements because you have to get X number of uh, skill points before you can buy your next talent for the uh, for the uh, more for the late game skills. For example, under the elite specializations for your class. Yeah, I, I still don't know much about that stuff. So I, I was I was intending to uh, to well, I, I bought the expansion yesterday. I really wasn't planning on it because it had been so long since I played Guild Wars Two. But we are huge fans of Guild Wars One, mm-hmm. and we loved Guild Wars Two when it came out. We our interest just kind of petered out. I guess we just needed a break from it. Yeah. But since since we took a break from it, they've changed a lot of the systems. Um, They've changed. I mean, the combat is pretty much the same, except for a few uh, uh, skill changes, I'm sure. But the way that you attribute points to your character has changed. And there's like new, they simply vastly simplified your like talent points that you can assign to yourself, but they added some new systems, which are different kinds of, yeah. Progression and specialization. So you know what? Which is the nice thing is you no longer have to level up individual weapons. Instead, you just level up your character and you unlock skills as you level up. I like that. I'm kind of sorry that they took that away. Um, I liked it, but I do like this one as well. Cause at least it, me too. Yeah, because at least you're not. Ha- you don't feel like you're forced to go out of your way just to make sure you have everything. You just have to play as you normally would, and you don't feel as crippled. Whereas if you have to level up a weapon, you do. You tend to feel crippled if you're at a higher level and you it's the first time you're getting that weapon. It's true. It's like a weapon type. There aren't that many weapon types, and by the time you're a higher level, you probably have everything unlocked. True, but I found that some of the classes like Ranger and uh, Warrior tended to have more weapons than others. That's true. So I guess they just saw it as busy work and they cut it out, which mm-hmm. is a, 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 it's a sensible thing to do. Guild Wars ArenaNet is the name of the developer. They work for NCSoft. Yeah. So they owned by their own by NCSoft, and they were a really early MMO. Well, not really early. I guess you called them like a second generation MMO. I suppose. Uh, no, weren't they around the same time as World of Warcraft? Was yeah, they? but that that came after EverQuest, which came after like Asheron's Call and other ones. So it's a later, yeah. relatively later generation one. But mm-hmm. Guild Wars, they were pretty aggressive in terms of balancing things and changing systems and. Uh, Doing, doing some pretty innovative stuff that sometimes changed the game in dramatic ways, but they were fearless about it, and it was usually for the better. Yeah, but one thing that's remained consistent is that you always had a limited number of skills on your actual yeah. act, and your active bar, so you could change your skills immediately out of combat without being in a city. Yeah, I love that, because in World of Warcraft, you might have like 50 buttons on your screen without exaggeration, maybe more. Whereas in Guild Wars One, you had eight buttons, and it was a big and it was a huge deal that you said that we suddenly had ten in this one. Yeah, you had like two hundred different skills, but you could only use eight at a, like you can only put eight on your bar, and so you had to find first, combinations. And the first five were determined by your weapons itself. 
And well, that's Guild Wars 2. Yeah, okay, yes, yeah, Guild Wars 2. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to get too too far down the rabbit hole, but we're getting back into Guild Wars 2 now. We uh, the, All the new content is for maximum level characters, which is level 80. And we both have a level 80 character, and I got started in it, but because it's been so long since I played the game and they've changed so many of the systems, I kind of felt like I didn't know my character anymore, and I had a bunch of points I had to spend, and I didn't know what the the ramifications were, so I'm just making a new character. So I'm a, I'm a char elementalist. A char is like a big scary kitty cat, and an elementalist is like an elemental mage. Yeah. And what are you making? Well, I have, I'm uh, going to try and uh, get back to my ranger, who I really like, and I've been running around in low-level areas just to get back acclimatized to my specializations and all the stuff that I have. But on the side, I've roll, rolled a uh, human revenant. Revenant, I'm not quite sure what the class is. It seems to be like a general hybrid class. That's a new class in the new expansion. That's what they've added. Yeah. It's another heavy, it's another uh, plate class or heavy male class. I'm not sure what they would call it, like heavy armor. Yeah. But it seems to use a combination of melee, utility skills, and healing. Because it's got, all, it kind of has a little of everything. And there's charges. It's an interesting class. And once again, my skills depend on what weapon I have equipped. Yeah, that's one of the nicest things about Guild Wars 2 is that in um, World of Warcraft or in most RPG games, you kind of specialize your character to do one thing very well. Whereas in Guild Wars uh, 2, your skills... Your your first five skills or so are dictated by what weapon you're equipping, and so you can pretty vastly change what your character does based on the the weapon you choose to hold without any sort of penalty or anything. So it's a nice way to have different strategies for different scenarios mm-hmm. without giving you too many buttons on your screen at once. I appreciate that. Yeah. And finally, I don't know if you've played anything else, but uh, we did nope. play co-op. Uh, Warhammer End Times Vermintide. Oh. Yeah. I saw... I hadn't even heard of this until a few weeks ago, and I saw yeah. uh, some write-up on PCGamer.com and uh, watched a video of it, and it looks awesome. And it looked awesome, so we bought, I bought it right away. It's basically like a fantasy Warhammer universe Left for Dead. So yeah, it's, that's uh, how I heard it described as well. It's very, very close to Left for Dead, which is okay. I mean, it's it's it doesn't do a lot of things that Left for Dead doesn't. It has... Uh, Four-player co-op. There is no PvP, unlike Left 4 Dead. But as far as I, can, as far as I'm concerned, no game has PvP because I never play it. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's predominantly melee weapons, but there's different characters that you can choose. And in Left 4 Dead, no matter what character you choose, they're all the same uh, abilities. Whereas in Vermintide, there's five different characters you can choose, and they have different. I think there's some overlap with the weapons, but. They do Overlap things. with the melee weapons for the most part, but not with the ranged weapon that mm. you had. Yeah, I think you're right. Everyone has a ranged weapon and a melee weapon, and uh, some people swing their weapons slowly and can hit many enemies at once. Some of them chop it really quickly, which does a small amount of damage, but uh, at a rapid succession. There's like daggers and hammers and axes and all the all the and fantasy rapier. kind of tropes. <laughs> rapier. Um <laughs> And it's a cooperative game, so the the four of you are swarmed by humongous numbers of instead of zombies like you'd find in Left for Dead, it's these like uh, rat sentient people. rat men. Yeah, Skaven they're called, I believe. Skaven, they yeah. call them something else, and I forget what the Fagaraki or something like that. Yeah, the Skaven. Oh. Yeah, they call them the Skaven too. 
I'm not I'm not that up on my Warhammer lore. I only know uh, what I learned from my brother who used to play it. Oh, tabletop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never played a Warhammer game before. This is the first one that really interested me, and it's fantastic. It's quite difficult. Uh, it's really challenging. I'm losing a lot. We're losing a lot, I should say. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, the people, like the two of us, oh, we haven't played a, a game with, oh, yeah, we played a couple of games with strangers, and I played myself more than with uh, Bianca. But the strangers that I've been teaming up with have been really nice and talented, and when we lose, nobody, like, flies off the handle or anything. I think the only reason no one's flying off the handle yet is because it's a pretty new game. Give it some time, and you'll get and you'll get all the trolls. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I have, I have plenty of that in Left 4 Dead. Yeah, I know. I I only play Left 4 Dead single player now because I couldn't I can't stand the community anymore. Like when a game I, like that, I, I, I haven't enough. played in a long time myself, but I used to play it all the time. Left 4, Left 4 Dead was a lot of fun if you had the right people. It was, but the bots are good enough that you can play solo without too much idiocy. The, the bots are very stupid sometimes. But. They're stupid, but yeah. at least you'll get the. Uh, the verbal aspect of the stupid. Yeah, some people were really, really real assholes mm-hmm. in, in the random games. Yeah, yes, the bots are stupid, but they're predictable stupid. They're not the AI for the bots is not as good in Vermintide, so it, it, it's a little more painful to play by yourself. But uh, oh, and yeah, half that, the time that's, they that's just usually do... how it goes in those kinds of games that are designed for multiplayer, which is why I usually don't play them myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not really much of a multiplayer guy myself, but uh, I do enjoy co-op games on occasion, and this is an excellent one. The graphics are amazing. The sound is amazing. The action is really frantic. Um, there's a good variety of weapons and stuff, and it's really cool how each person is like pre- is they're predominantly melee, but with an option for ranged. There's the although some of the classes uh, rely more than others on the ranged attacks. And there's things uh, that encourage you to play co-op, like uh, if somebody falls down, then another person can resurrect them, like help them back up on their feet. And Mm -hmm. uh, there's like, I want to call them special infected, like they're called in Left 4 Dead, but there's like the special rats that uh, do something in particular, and some uh, players are better equipped to deal with those guys than others. You started the witch. What's that? Oh, the witch, yeah. Um, Isn't that the uh, armored units in this one? Like yeah, there's some, there's sort of an analog for that in uh, Vermintide. There's instead of the witch, you will occasionally find these like roaming patrols of armored, very difficult uh, rat men. So you do your best not to disturb them because if you attack them, then there's more of them than you, and they take a lot of hits to kill, and they can wipe you out just like that. The whole party. So, and then there's some places where they just where you're in a sewer. And then they just and there's like a very narrow passage they keep coming out, so you can just make this huge pile of grushy flesh rats. Like, oh yeah, it's ridiculous. When you're going down like a, a narrow tunnel, you'll get this huge swarm of like eighty rat men all running right whoa. towards you. And so the class that I've been enjoying is a dwarf who has either a huge two-handed axe or a two-handed hammer. So I'm just like swinging with all my might, left, right, left, right, like cleaving through a whole bunch of them at once until you finally have this like big wall of quivering rat meat in front of you and you don't know what's a corpse and what's a live enemy. It's really cool. And one of the one of the classes is a fire uh, casting mage and it can do these big fireballs. So sometimes when it's really frantic and you're in a narrow hallway, all you see is like 
rat noses and fireballs, and you don't know whether you're still chopping at something that's alive or not because all you have is this huge wall of fire in front of you. It's really funny, and you don't even know if you're going to be damaged if you stand in the fire. I think you, I think you are, but you don't care because <laughs> you don't want some other jerk to get the kill. You want to get the kill. You'll yep. stand in the fire. For some reason, if it, not with the hammer, but if you're playing with the, uh, I believe. The witch hunter, you get a lot of headshots with the melee sword because you use a uh, rapier or a two-handed uh, sword. You get, a lot, I got a lot of headshots. Oh, I, I do okay with the with my guy too. Yeah, but yeah, this uh. was a pretty. It's pretty interesting. But but the mage has an interesting uh, mechanic. This because if you if you for, if you fire for too long, you start to take your own damage because you overheat. So you have to actually vent some of this power that you have. Yeah, the mage instead of reloading, you have to like vent the heat out of yourself. Otherwise, you hurt yourself. You hurt yourself as you cast too quickly with your fire. Mm. So it's good, good balance, good setting. The game was uh, thirty dollars, which is like half of what. Friggin' birds! Oh my gosh! <laughs> Jeez, could you hear that? Africa? Yeah, I heard. Stupid bird. Got, got kind of freaking out. Yes, they kind of do that. Yeah. So anyway, the game is cheaper than I expected it to be, and has wildly exceeded my expectations. It's really, really good. It, yeah, it sounds. It sounds like a lot of fun. It's excellent. Really surprised and impressed with it. And cool. it. Well, at least, and it does fit in with our theme for today, being you know scary games. Like it's a scary setting. Yeah, well, oh, shall, yeah, shall we get to the main topic? Because I haven't played really anything other than Guild Wars 2 and uh, Vermintide this week. Yeah, and I haven't really played anything else besides what I've talked about. Because, I mean, I put in my 16 hours with the Stick of Truth. Well, that's some hard work. <laughs> All right, well, why don't we go ahead and get to it? Uh, yeah, before we do that, I've got to step out again for a second, so... Sure thing. Be right back. Okay. All right. I'm uh, I, while you stepped away. I was just uh, taking a look at my email, and I keep getting these um, reminders. Oh, shut the hell up, you stupid birds! I keep getting these reminders from Kickstarter for the Hero You uh, Kickstarter campaign, their second campaign, where I threw in an extra five bucks. Oh yeah, they um, made their gold with that, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Thank goodness. Um, so I just gave them another five bucks, which didn't get me any other rewards. It says in my email that I'm at the zero dollar reward pledge level, but I keep getting these friggin' uh, emails asking me to fill out a survey with, like, my address and stuff like that. Like, I'm not getting anything, so stop pestering me, stupid yeah. Kickstarter. I hate that. It's far from the first time this has happened. I guess I'll just continue to ignore that. Can't you just unsubscribe from those? Uh, not from those, because they want to make sure that if I actually got a, 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 a bonus, whatever they call those... Um, that uh, I don't, uh, that I'm not, uh, I don't go without. A reward. Yeah, a reward. Yeah, that's a hard, that's an easy, easy word to forget. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. It happens. It does, and whatever. That's okay. I'm still glad that they got my extra five bucks, in addition to my other pledge. I hope that that game works out for them. Mm-hmm. I, hope uh, I hope it's profitable. Maybe, maybe you could just fill out the survey, and then they'll leave you alone. Yeah, I could no, do that. No, it wouldn't help. Me. Yeah, it does help. Then they stop pestering you to fill out the survey. But I've done that for many other projects, and I'm kind of fed up with doing that now. I usually yeah. fill it out saying, why do you need my address? Because mm-hmm. I, I, never, I never opt for physical rewards. Or the only time I did that was for Star Citizen, and I lost the physical reward. It was a little credit card-sized, uh, like, I'm a, I'm a citizen of space identification card or something. It was really stupid. <laughs> Whatever. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Topic. 
Bye-bye. Uh, we are going to talk some more about scary games. We have a lot of games on our list. Do you have many left on your list, Akigo? I got plenty to talk about. Oh goodness gracious! Well, we're going to be less we're going to be less gracious hosts this time and squeeze in a few games ourselves. But why don't you go ahead and uh, mention the first one on your list? Okay, uh, first one. Going back to my childhood fear of Sierra games, mm. one uh, that I neglected to bring up last time. Although this one was actually one that I didn't discover until a couple of years ago, because hmm. uh, King's Quest Five. Well, that was a game that uh, pretty much scarred me uh, plenty as a kid with all the random deaths in that one. No kidding. That's a very treacherous game. Yeah. Or, like, <clears throat> like of course, you got the stuff with uh, uh, Graham falling off a cliff and letting out this blood-curdling <laughs> scream as he goes down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or near the, near the end of the game... Uh, when you're in Mor- uh, Mordek's castle, the evil wizard, and he appears out of nowhere and basically force chokes you. <laughs> There's like 50 ways to die in that freaking game. Yeah. I'm sure. That, that one in particular always freaked me out. But what I discovered a couple of years ago is that there's actually uh, one death screen that was cut out of the actual game because apparently they thought it was too freaky. Mm. I didn't know that. What was it? Well, it happens when you go into the inn and, you know, the innkeeper is uh, chatting with some buddies of his about uh, some kind of uh, robbery or whatever they pulled the, the other day. And because they think Graham is eavesdropping on them, they beat him over the head and they tie him up and throw him in the uh, cellar. Uh-huh. Yeah. And if you didn't talk to the rat uh, earlier, you didn't save it from the cat, it won't come up here and have it eat, bite through your uh, ropes, and then you basically just get killed when the innkeeper later comes down and uh, puts you out of your misery, as the narrator says. Right. Okay, but what happens is, uh, you know, little, the window comes up with the little icon showing how you died. In the actual game, it's just the uh, standard gravestone that's used for a bunch of different deaths. Mm-hmm. But somebody dug into the res- uh, game's resources, and they found... What was actually supposed to be there is a close-up of the innkeeper's face as he's kind of glaring at you and got this really creepy, evil smile as he's <laughs> drooling, basically. Ew. Yeah. I, I looked it up on YouTube where they kind of put it back together the way it's supposed to look. And when I saw that face, my fucking spine just jiggled in a way I did not know it was even possible. Wow. <laughs> That's I had no idea that was there. That's amazing. It's funny that it's just it's so it's just a picture of someone's face. That's it. Yeah, a little a little animated uh, picture of the innkeeper's face as he's glaring and uh, creepily smiling at you. Oh, this I gotta see. That's awesome. King's Quest Five Innkeeper. Uh, yeah, I think you can find it if you look for that. Oh, unused death animation. You know that job we pulled yesterday? Where's the rest of the loot, huh? Just putting the podcast on hold here. Just holding out on me. Gentlemen, please excuse me. I didn't yeah, mean to The scene itself is completely unchanged. It's just a picture at the end after you die. Okay. Diana's wow, the innkeeper's a tubby bastard. Yes, he is. Hey, boss, this guy looks like a real troublemaker. What do you want me to do with him? Rub him out. Rub him out. Thump. <laughs> Struggle as he might, Graham could not escape his bonds. Don't worry. Ah! 
the innkeeper will soon be putting water in his drink. Ah, that's terrible. Oh, shit. Told you. His gold tooth twinkles. It's very peculiar that they would take that out. How odd. <laughs> That's creepy. Yeah, I, I, I guess they figured they didn't want to scar the kitties too much. <laughs> I guess. That's very funny. They have over 50, type, 50 ways to die, and they're worried about starring the kids with that scene. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, really. In, in my particular case, it didn't help much, but I'm glad I didn't get to see that because that's uh, up there with the fucking zombie from Space Quest 4. Oh, yeah. I which which so. is actually another good example of freaky shit in uh, those kind of games. Oh, yeah. Those are, that, that's a, that gave me nightmares literally for days, I think. Oh, yeah. I don't blame you. <laughs> the, the, the visual and the sound. That's a very classic spooky thing. Mm, for sure. Yeah. All right, Bianca, do you want to take one? Okay. Um, I'll go with something I mentioned last week when Trolls was... Uh, with us. Mm-hmm. The Moon Sliver. I found... Okay, this is a game I got on Steam for 76 cents. <laughs> and I thought... And it's... And I would... I would not... Survival horror. It's a psychological horror game. It starts off... Uh, benignly enough. Kind of a depressing setting. Everything... This nice dull color. Not really black and white, but uh, there is like a hint of brownness to it. Is, really, is this one of those... First person games made in the Unity engine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Th- th- there's a ton of those on Steam. But, yes, there uh, are. But, but go on. There are a ton of these, but I I had just happened to be I'm just using this since it's the most recent game I played of this type. And well, the reason I'm mentioning it is because every is every time is when you first start out, I didn't even know how to turn on my flashlight. I'm looking around, going, I see all this stuff. I'm going, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck, what's gonna come out at me? I turn on my pocket, I'm like, oh, I'm in a cabin, and there's nothing here. Oh, okay, is that a door there? I'm going to go to this door. Hopefully it takes me outside. Open the door. This will end well. Yeah, I'm like, I open the door. Oh, I'm the last person on this island. Oh, good. Let's uh, walk around and see what we can find out. Walk around. Oh, look, everything's kind of decrepit and abandoned. Walking, walking. Oh, this is this is the depressing story, walking, walking. Um... I'm going to turn on my flashlight. Oh, my flashlight's starting to run out of juice. I better turn it off. Oh, look, an outlet. Let's charge my flashlight on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but oh, as, you can do that. Yeah, I can. I got to charge my flashlight. But what happened was, as every time once I started making story progress and actually going back outside, it started getting darker. I'm going, I can't see anything. I don't want to turn on my flashlight because then I'm going to have to go recharge my battery. Mm. Yeah, that's the uh, usual dilemma in games like these. Mm-hmm. So, story pro- every time I made progress in my story, it started getting darker and darker outside, and the wind kept picking up. I'm like, okay, when's something going to come out and just nibble me up? Oh, a nice sense of anticipation. Yeah, because I'm going, um, there's nothing here that's out yet, but there has to be. Why is there nothing coming out? I mean, yes, this island's abandoned, but is it really that abandoned? Mm-hmm. Eventually, I did find the uh, one place where it's like I'm like just this long hallway, and it's like I can't keep my flashlight on. I have to walk down this hallway, and I'm seeing all these things. And it's like just turn on the flashlight quickly, figure out which way to go, turn it off, and then walk. And it's just this hallway <laughs> is narrow, or the walls are closing in on me. <laughs> oh, 
can I go out this way? No. It's a dead end with a bunch of boxes. Um, is there anything here? No. Oh, my flashlight is losing energy. <laughs> and then by the time nightfall came, I couldn't see two feet in front of me. And my flashlight was dying. Finally, by the end of it, my flashlight wouldn't turn on at all. I couldn't see where I was going. <laughs> That's a very uh, common theme in uh, yeah. horror games, it seems. Mm hmm um, and another one. I'm going to take this opportunity to do my next one. Oh, apparently you are. Yes. Fine. Go ahead. Because I'm sure. special. And <laughs> mulligan, thumb, 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 mulligan. Yes, yes, your thumb is hurt. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> um, although it's, I wouldn't, this is probably not like scary in the traditional sense. I am including gone home just because oh. you're coming home to an empty house and it's just very strange because you don't know what you're going to find. Everything is like, it looks like it's just frozen in time because there's nobody home and everything's just as it was. Yeah, I think everybody assumes that some monster is going to jump out at you or something in that game. Yeah, well, especially I, when you I, walk, I, especially when you walk towards the attic mm. and you see all those lights. It's like I am not going up there. I don't know what's <laughs> going to come out of the shadows, but I'm not going up to the attic. Right. And then it's like well, I, I knew pretty much beforehand there wasn't anything particularly scary about the game, mm. but I could, I can see how it would unnerve somebody uh, though at the same time i'm kind of used to that scenario coming home to an empty house because my parents uh, were away a lot of times when i was younger so mm -hmm. but in a video game you expect there to be some kind of like a direct conflict and not just yeah to be yeah yeah it's close mm -hmm. that's that's true but yeah it was just the sense of this storm outside and uh at first i could and i and just hear and not really knowing what you're hearing until you actually approach the door where you realize it's a television and you see Yeah, it. that was really funny, actually. Because in, in, uh, right near the beginning of the game, Bianca walked into a room and you could very faintly hear somebody talking. <laughs> she, fr <laughs> she froze and she's looking around and she takes a step away and then it's gone. And I think like the loudest you can ever hear it is still very, very faint because it's in the room right next to you. Mm -hmm. that, was, that, that was very enjoyable to watch. <laughs> <laughs> and then, when I, then I realized it's the television. I'm like... Oh, it's the warning about the weather. <laughs> <laughs> and then just having to turn on the lights and looking around, like at first every there's all these shadows and it's just very a very ordinary house and there's nothing particularly scary once you've turned on the lights. It's just trying to figure out what you what's going on once you realize that there's nothing that's gonna really jump out of the shadows once you've gone past just the uh, voices that you heard. And the reason that I found the voices alarming is because the first thing you do when you do when you go into that hallway is when you open there's a drawer that you open and you're reading somebody's obituary mm -hmm. so it was like is this house being haunted right that's why i thought of this it's just the, co the correlation of those two uh aspects together and seeing the really spooky lights around the attic and do not go in here mm -hmm. and then just crawling through the basement and all these walkways yeah it's a very spooky house it takes you a long time in that game to kind of figure out what kind of a game you're playing. Mm -hmm. So that uncertainty is is a very powerful tool that they use very well. Yeah, good, good pacing. Yeah, it's not. I wouldn't say it's horror. Just that uncertainty and suspense do are uh, necessary characteristics for a good scary game. Yeah, and so it does qualify in that respect, even if it's self, even if it's not actually a scary game. Yep, this is true. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because. Uh, well, the way I saw it, 
the way what the way I experienced it, I was just kind of in it for the story about this, you know, the family that lived in this house, uh, who lived here, and what were, uh, you know, what was going on with them. Uh, so I, I didn't really pick up on any potential kind of uh, spooky stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Guess that's just me. Mm. Well, I, it's my first time really playing it, so I didn't know what to expect. It was a different genre than stuff I'd played before. Hmm. Yeah, it really does turn out to be a very unique experience. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I am definitely. glad I played it, and I found it a fanta- to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Brian, why don't you tell us something that you uh, that made you shut your knickers? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that I will. Uh, the game I want to mention is Alan Wake by Remedy, Ooh. who made Max Payne. Um, Alan Wake is a really interesting horror game because in some ways it is genuinely quite a scary game. Oh, that oh yeah. is a scary I, game. I played it myself uh, two years ago, I believe. Mm-hmm. I, I play it about every six months. I absolutely – this is one of my favorite games of all time. I love this oh, game wow. so much. So in some ways it does take itself seriously and is a genuinely scary game. And in other ways it's very silly and campy. Oh, I know. With some of the characters <laughs> – which is such a nice contrast, is because both both of those uh, contrast like both of those uh, polar opposites work together and they work very well. It's kind of like a palate cleanser. The the tension kind of goes up and down in a very skillful manner. Yeah. You do need that in a in a, in a uh, scary game. Otherwise, it's just too much and it uh, ruins the entire experience. You need the occasional uh, breather for your for the uh, per, for the player to uh, come back down and just continue. With the pace. I agree. Unless it's a really short game. Mm-hmm. I would agree. So for those that aren't familiar with Alan Wake, you play a, a writer, a novelist, who goes on vacation with his wife. His wife kind of uh, tricks uh, tricks Alan, saying that they're just going to go on a nice restful vacation to help to cure his writer blo- writer's block, when in fact she's actually uh, booked uh, an appointment with a psychologist who specializes in helping creative people get their uh, uh, get their writer's block solved or get their creative juices flowing again. And so uh, Alan's wife uh, mysteriously disappears and he has to go find her and solve the mystery of where she went. There's a lot of supernatural stuff going on and uh, a lot of uh, just really spooky atmosphere. It's kind of riffing on kind of classic horror stuff such as Stephen King and Twin Peaks. Um, it takes place a lot. It takes place in like a, uh, I think it's like supposed to be Washington or something like that. A town, oh, not Maine. <laughs> it could be Maine too. I don't know. It's a, it's like a mountainous, forested area with a lake. Very uh, American uh, kind of wildernessy, quaint little town. Um, and uh, there are a few. You meet a few people, uh, like townspeople, and they're all kind of a little bit quirky and some of them are very intelligent and some of them are very stupid, but everyone is kind of likable and unique and has their own personality and their own definition. Uh, so it's, it's really enjoyable just to kind of spend uh, your time looking around in the town as you can. It is a linear game with linear levels. I understand that they originally wanted to make it an open world game to some extent, yeah. but I'm glad they didn't because I don't really know how you can expect to maintain the right kind of attention in a horror game if it's an open world game. Yeah. That would be a very difficult challenge if you're going at the pace of the player. You kind of need to go at the pace of the narrator, I think, for effective horror. So what makes this game spooky is 
the whole disempowerment thing. Your weapons are very interesting. If you've played Max Payne, then this game is really not very different in terms of its interface or in terms of its uh, gameplay mechanics. It is a third-person shooter game, and uh, you use traditional uh, like ballistic weapons like pistols and shotguns and things like that. But your alternative weapon, which is equally as important, is a flashlight and things that create light. Because your enemies are these like shadow monsters, these shadowy ghosts. And uh, they you have darkness kind of as a shield around them. So you melt away their darkness shield with your flashlight, and then you uh, destroy their the bodies that they've uh, possessed with your ballistic weapons. So that's kind of an interesting pace where you can't do any damage with your guns until you've melted away their shield completely with your flashlight. So that adds some tension. Um, the real uh, character in the game, though, I guess, is the environment. There are these like uh, there there are these gorgeous, incredible forests that look in, like very very photorealistic. The the scenery in this game is just unbelievable. The town as well. Looks when you can actually see anything in the dark. <laughs> That's right. It's a very dark game. Um, so you'll be kind of walking around at night through the forest, which is scary on its own. But then all of a sudden, uh, the wind picks up a little bit, and you kind of hear, hear the howling of wind through the branches and the rustling of leaves. And your vision gets a little bit, not blurry, but kind of swirly. That the uh, You are always in focus. But the forest around you starts getting like misty and smoky and swirly and mysterious, and the music picks up a little bit, and you can like hear breathing and you can hear voices around you. Very, very good atmosphere and really, really friggin' scary, um, because that happens a lot of times, and the anticipation really starts to get to you, and the, it means that someone is about to attack, but it's really only if you start proceeding through the forest some more. You can just stand there and it will continue to be swirly and mysterious and scary, but nothing will really happen until you proceed forward. So it has that very important aspect of you dreading taking a few steps forward. Like, you know that you'll be safe if you just kind of stick around here for a bit until later in the game where if you stay still in a, in a dangerous area, then something will come and get you. And the enemies don't drop ammunition, so your ammunition is plentiful but finite. I hear that on the higher difficulty levels, which don't interest me, then you're really fighting to uh, make the most of your ammunition and trying to get through as fast as possible. But there's a little bit more leeway on the on the regular uh, skill level. Yeah, so, e even on the easiest difficulty, I found the game pretty challenging because, uh, like you said, you have to first burn away the uh, darkness around the enemies and then shoot them with your regular gun, but... In effect, that basically means you have two pools of ammunition that you need to manage. So that's right. I, I often find myself running out of flashlight batteries and then running out of regular ammunition because uh, each enemy requires so much of each to put down, and you can't really run from them either because you get uh, tired pretty quickly when trying to run. That's right. Yeah, your protagonist is not terribly strong. So that's, that's a very tense kind of a thing to have to live with while you get through the game. Yeah. But, although uh, mm. although what, what kind of diminished from the scariness for me personally were, you know, uh, the enemies you fight, they're all possessed, but they still shout things like they would normally say uh, uh, as, you know, cons uh, what they would normally say in their daily lives, like they would yell things at you like about how uh, Nordic walking is good for your health, or mm -hmm. uh, you need you need a fishing license if you want to fish at the pond. 
but it says it in a scary voice. I love that because it's like there's some tiny shred of that person uh, yeah, that still exists. You know, just these really mundane things, and they say it in these really discordant and scary kind of voices. It just <laughs> becomes hard for me to take seriously. Oh, I love that. That was kind of an absurd sort of a thing. I, it kind of got me thinking, like, this person must be conscious or something and in their own kind of personal hell while this is happening. I thought that that added to it. It was a very kind of campy, silly thing to do. And that in it, like, on its own is not terribly scary. But that in combination with the music and the atmosphere, that I thought that all contributed to kind of the same goal. I suppose. But, yeah, the game did have a lot of intentionally silly bits as well. Like I mentioned to Barry, yeah. he's a really funny character. Mm-hmm. And speaking of reused voice actors, he was the same voice actor as Vinny Gognitti from the uh, Max oh, Payne games. Yeah, uh-huh. the same kind of shrill voice. It's almost yeah, the same. Now that you mention it, it's weird how I had never picked up on that before. Mm-hmm. Huh. And he's a great voice actor, too. He's a, he, I, I, maybe he's a one-trick pony because he's just like the, the shrill New Yorker kind of a guy. I like how they actually got James McCaffrey in that game with all the voice of Max Payne. Yeah. I love that. Early, early on, you read one of Alan's books, and it basically is the plot of Max Payne narrated by that same voice. That's right. <laughs> but he calls but it he, something he, else, and it's kind of referred to. Yeah, Alex Casey, he calls it. That's right. But uh, he also uh, James McCaffrey also shows up later as a different character, and he uh, does some interesting uh, things with the performance there as well. Oh, I didn't know he did that. Do you remember who the character is? Uh, kind of a spoiler to mention it. So. Oh, okay. You can maybe tell me later. Although, well, no, he uh, basically right in the very first area, there's this weird kind of distant light that talks to you. That's oh. uh, James, James McCaffrey's voice. Oh, I didn't know that. Neat. Okay, I know exactly. You didn't, know, didn't notice that? Well, yeah, I guess that's uh, two things we both didn't pick up on then. I guess so. Now we're even. <laughs> so I'm, I'm almost talking myself into playing this damn thing. Yet again, I absolutely love this game. I really, really, really love it. I, I should try it again myself as well. And uh, American Nightmare as well. I bought that on GOG, but I haven't played it yet. I played it for like five minutes. I thought it sucked. It was they changed they changed the mechanics so that you're more of like a He-Man Rambo guy. You you, yeah, you shoot a lot more. Yeah, it's more action oriented from what I understand. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, I thought it was crap. A, a friend of mine uh, was talking to me about it, and he said uh, how you really liked the different direction that it took with uh, <clears throat> the the story, and he really enjoyed the villain in that as well. Apparently, hmm. well, I probably won't give it a chance to be honest. I didn't enjoy the DLC. I, I just started the DLC for Alan Wake, and it's just a lot harder than the already hard game. So I didn't yeah, really care. Yeah, I, I haven't played the DLC myself either. Maybe I'll watch a YouTube video with cutscenes or something in it just to get the story. But I love the story in the, the base game. And I love the ending. It's an ambiguous ending. Oh, yeah. I, I Def- really love it. Definitely uh, an, uh, <clears throat> an interesting way to end it. Not entirely, you know, happy, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, it was a, a very it, kind it, of science it, fiction it, horror it's kind of ending. the overall game. It does. Very well. And the whole last level that you play, or the last couple of levels, I thought was brilliant. It's very oh, yeah. surreal. Very unforgettable. And it's uh, written by uh, Sam Lake, who also wrote the first two Max Payne games, and I think he was consulted for the third Max Payne game. But I really like his writing. Yeah, Re- Remedy in general were uh, consultants for the third Max Payne game. They pretty much gave it their blessing. Yeah, I don't know what consultants means. I don't know if that was five minutes of their time or, or 50 hours. 
Mm. But I like that one too. Well, I, I, I think at the very least that their uh, recommendation, they did add a lot of the flashback levels in that game to give it more of a link to the previous games. Oh, uh, okay. And that went a long way too, so I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. All right, well, I guess that's all I'll say about Alan Wake, except that I've seen it on sale many, many times. I think ordinarily it's like $30 or so, but... It's 32 on Steam right now. Oh, in Canadian anyway. Yeah. But uh, I've seen it in Humble Bundles, and it's been on sale on Steam. You can usually get it for like 4 or $5. I think it's worth the $30. I love the game. I've played it. I probably played it for like 30 hours or something by now, having played it a few times. But wow. get it on sale if you're on the fence. I, I thought it was just a masterpiece. I think it's absolutely brilliant and unquestionably one of my favorite games ever. I'm thinking of waiting for it to go on sale for Black Friday or Christmas. I don't know if you'll like it. It's pretty action-packed. You may or may not. I finished GTA. I've uh, played a bunch of action games recently. It's harder. Mm-hmm. It's harder. Get it. I would love to give these guys more money because I loved it that much. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if you'll have the patience to get through it because there are some frustrating action sequences. Yeah, are Remedy still uh, making games? I had, don't think I've heard of them uh, doing anything new for a while. Yeah, they've been working on, unfortunately, another Xbox exclusive game, or at least a timed exclusive, called Quantum yeah. Break for the Xbox oh. One. Hasn't that been out for a while already, I, or am I thinking of a different game? I don't think it's come out yet. I don't think it's come out yet. I'm sure it will come out for PC eventually. I'm, I'm sure it must be a timed exclusive. But I'll play anything that Remedy makes. I think they're one of the best developers that you can possibly find, especially for PC games. I'm pretty sure Quantum Break is not yet out. Mm. Oh, yeah, released April 5th, uh, 2016. Okay, Mm. I think it was supposed to come out at the end of this year, but it got delayed as it happens, but... uh... Yeah. I'm sure I'm sure. probably this time next year it will hopefully be out on PC by then. I really hope. Yeah, I, I was really disappointed at first when uh, Alan Wake had been development for, in development for PC for the longest time, and then it suddenly switched to Xbox 360 exclusive, and then suddenly got ported back to PC again, fortunately. Yeah, that's right. They even have like a little uh, uh, winking reference to that in the game. <laughs> Did you play it? Did you play it on PC? Yeah, yeah, I got it on Steam. Oh, okay. Oh, if you haven't yet, you should totally play it on your new computer. It is incredible. The graphics are absolutely incredible. Yeah, I probably should, now that you mention it, because on my previous computer, it ran kind of sluggish in a lot of places. I had to play it pretty much at the lowest possible level of detail. Oh, it's a pretty power-hungry game, but if you can run it at the full detail, it's just magnificent uh, setting and uh, art and everything. No, I, I, I thought it looked pretty spectacular, even on the lowest setting already. So. Oh, I bet it did. All right, well, that's all I'll say about Alan Wake then, I guess. Uh, why don't you take another one, Akiko? <sighs> well, one other little thing that I wanted to mention. Uh, have you guys ever played any games uh, from the late 90s published by Virgin Entertainment? Probably. Yeah. No idea. I don't so, think you have. I have. Well, in particular, uh, I know Toonstruck and Broken Sword 2. Mm-hmm. I played Toonstruck, not, or some of Toonstruck, never Broken Sword 2. Okay, well, uh, several of their games from that time period, when you boot them up, uh, they have this uh, logo video for Virgin, in- Virgin Interactive Entertainment, where this massive eyeball suddenly opens up, and the Virgin logo appears in it, and that always scared the crap out of me when that happened. Because uh-huh. 
it just ha- it happens all of a sudden. There's all these loud noises, and it covers the entire screen. And it, uh, pretty much any time I want to play Toonstruck now, I always immediately hit the escape uh, key to skip that because, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It may it may sound not quite as impressive uh, the way I'm describing it, but. I know the one you're talking about. It was, yeah, it was a very 90s kind of a thing. Yeah, but it, it always makes me jump when it happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, so that's the scary That's the scary thing? Just the uh, intro, uh, uh, the publisher identification video? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. But, uh, well, if I want to talk about something else uh, more significant... Yeah, go for it. Uh, let me check this list here. Uh, well, I guess I could talk about this one. Uh, have any of you heard of an old FMV game called Terror Tracks? I don't think so, no. No. Is that no, a PC game? Sorry? It's a PC game? Yeah. I don't think it's I've ever a, heard of this. It's a pretty, pretty obscure one from what I understand, but somehow I... Uh, Got a copy of it way back for whatever reason. And I always thought it was kind of an interesting game, even though it obviously has its limitations being FMV and all. But the basic premise is you're the commander in charge of this organization called TRAX, which stands for Trace, Research, Analyze, and Exterminate. Uh-huh. That's how acronyms work. Of course. And they're charged with uh, investigating mysterious events and dealing with supernatural entities like vampires or zombies or ghosts and whatnot. You know, uh, kind of an X-Files thing, I guess, but more campy. Mm-hmm. And the main gimmick behind it is that you're following your agents that you send out into the field uh, from the first person because they're wearing these special uh, sunglasses with cameras in them, basically. So everything that they're going up against, you're seeing right through their eyes. Okay. So uh, right from the beginning, you get a 911 call from a woman who's being attacked by a vampire. So you send uh, send an agent over to her apartment to rescue her, or at the very least, figure out what's going on. By the time you get there, she's uh, already <clears throat> been bitten, and you find her lying in the bathroom. Uh, against the, against the tub, she's got a gash on her neck, and she's bleed. Uh, she's blood all over her, and she's out cold. So then, yeah, well, your computer voice uh, guide that uh, kind of guides you through the game tells your officer to go up to her and check if she's got fangs, if she's been turned. Hmm. So he uh, crouches down next to her, puts his uh, finger to her lip. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she opens her eyes, she jumps up, starts screaming and howling at you in your face, clawing you half to death. Or, well, she would have, but, you know, she basically just punches you across the face and then runs off. <laughs> but, you know, when it happens, it uh, oh, it took me off guard uh, the first few times I saw it. <laughs> and there's a few uh, surprisingly... Uh, freaky scenes like that in the game like another call later on you get this uh, woman who's horribly uh, you know been horribly attacked she's in shock she's kind of whispering to you in a panicky voice that some monster came into her house and took her eyes (laughs) what I'm sorry 
<laughs> so you send another agent over to her and you uh, you find her sitting on the floor, you know. Uh, she's got two bloody holes where her eyes used to be, and there's a guy in there who's basically a resurrected serial killer who now has electrical powers. Oh, of course, because... Of course. <laughs> because. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the game story is pretty silly like that, and the actual gameplay it pretty much consists of uh, occasionally your agents are presented with two choices, and you have to make the right choice for them or else they die, and you lose the game. Oh, so it's not really branching or anything? Uh, well, depending on your choices, it might be, but there's only one ideal path that'll lead you to the best ending where you catch the bad guy and all both your uh, officers survive. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But there's a few... Uh, there's a few interesting death scenes as well, like you're interest- investigating a hospital where the uh, zombie serial killer has been sn- uh, snatching other people's organs that were taken from him and donated to other people. And when you find this one corpse, all of a sudden, he's also there lying on a gurney and he comes up to you and basically crushes your skull mm-hmm. because you were supposed to investigate another patient. So is it, is this stuff all in uh, first person? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fun. Although the camera work is really suspect in places. It goes all over the place. And then some scenes are so dark, you basically can't see anything. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was actually... Uh, are you guys familiar with the Spoonie or the Spoonie experiment? I am, yes. Well, he uh, actually did a video on the game where he uh, basically runs through it and riffs on all the uh, funny bits. I watched his Phantasmagoria 2 video, so I think I know what to expect. Yeah, it's uh, pretty much on the same level. It's uh, pretty funny. And even covered the original two uh, audiobooks that uh, the uh, FMV game was based on. Wow. Which actually uh, work on the same principle where you're listening to them and occasionally they will give you options to make a certain choice by switching to a different track on the CD. Oh. But, you know, they have the same kind of campy uh, storytelling and voice acting and all that. So, hmm. Well, it's always nice to get a little bit of extra content. That's kind of nice. Cool. I haven't heard of this one. Is this available anywhere? Uh, not to my knowledge. I only uh, happened to pick it up because some uh, kind of uh, it, it was re-released a whole lot by some uh, publisher that re-released a bunch of different games for uh, low price and uh, kind of, well, just simple uh, jewel case packaging. Hmm. Oh, well, I found the Spoonie video, so I've got that in the show notes now. Cool. Yeah. All right. Bianca. Don't you want another one before I go again? Yeah, sure. Do you want to take another one, Akago? I meant you. Oh, me? Yeah. Okay, fine. I'll take another one. (laughs) Um, I have a few shooters on my list, but I'm going to skip those to change gears. I want to go back to adventure games and mention the Gabriel Knight series. Oh. Um. So I haven't really played Gabriel Knight 3 very much. I think I got about two hours into it or so, but I just found it too clunky. I couldn't get into it. I really yeah. owe it to myself to get to, to give it a go. That I uh, tried some interesting things with the interface there, but ultimately... Too interesting. 
Yeah, it. Uh, you got in the way. Doesn't it, it? It's not quite as uh, fun as the first two games. Plus, the I, f- I find the story isn't that interesting. The puzzles are too convoluted. So the puzzles really suck. I might just play it with a walkthrough just to get through it. Yeah, that, that's pretty much what I did in the end. That's what I really should do because it was very frustrating. But um, it's still very enjoyable, regardless. Mm. Uh, you know, just seeing how uh, everything unfolds, but. Mm-hmm. It's definitely the weakest of three uh, of the three games. Oh well, that's too bad. But they are they are uh, it, the first two are a tough act to follow, I suppose, because I love both one oh, and yeah, two. Oh yeah, definitely. I really love them. Um, so Gabriel Knight One in general has a bunch of uh, scary themes, I suppose. Uh, it's all about they are, they all do. They all do. That's, sure, that's their whole uh, shtick. I guess that's the shtick. <laughs> the first one is about uh, voodoo and the voodoo murders and whether or not they're legitimate and who's covering it up i don't want to spoil it i guess just in case i don't think ben chandler has played the gabriel knight games unless i'm mistaken i think he was kind of turned off by it somehow if i'm remembering correctly and i think there's a lot to like about those games uh i played them on disc first and then a friend of mine loaned me his CD version, and I think I gave him the discs back or something and tried to sneak it by him, and by the time he must have figured out, I think we were no longer friends anymore, so <laughs> I got off like a bandit in that one. <laughs> um, I uh, And whether or not the voice acting is good is debatable, I guess. We've already talked about this on the podcast, so I don't want to belabor it, but uh, I enjoyed it for the most part. It's uh, better than average. It is. Mark Hamill and... Uh, and uh, what's his name? Tim Commander Worf. Tim, Tim Curry. There's a lot of... Uh, uh, M- M- I, Michael Dorn. Yeah, Michael Dorn. Yeah, I was about to say Tim Curry. <laughs> Tim Curry, yeah, I know. He would have been awesome as Worf. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would have been wrong. Yes. <laughs> um, so anyway, I think most people are probably familiar with Gabriel Knight, and I have talked about it before. So what I'll say about the first one, what really scared me about the first one, I guess there are two things that scared me in the first one. One of them was... There is a police informant by the name of Crash. Oh. And he is like a, sort of an unreliable informant who is like a junkie, but he's like an occasional informant and uh, is picked up by the police for petty crimes and stuff like that. And you don't really know whether you can rely on him to give proper information, which of course means that he sounds crazy, but he's the sanest person that you talk to in some ways. So without spoiling it, just the way that he dies really, really yeah. freaked me out. Um, the, you, you have like a whole lengthy conversation with him while he's like having his last breaths. So that, that really disturbed me in many ways. I, I like that. I appreciated that scene very much. And uh, the other scene that genuinely scared me, really, I guess, because of the combination of the uh, setting and the gameplay, was uh, in uh, an area called the Snake Mound. This mm. is in uh, Africa where you're like underground and these golem things come to life. Uh, so you like walk all the way through this place and there are all these like still statues and you do something and they all come to life and then you have to kind of run back through and sneak past them. So that actually really scared me. I, I, I was uh, freaked out by that in general. Um, yeah. And the, the thing with Gabriel Knight is, as well is uh, for a Sierra game, there are surprisingly few ways to die except for certain points like that one. It's true, and that kind of makes it all the more impactful, I guess, when you do die. Yeah. It's very true. that that You can die in pretty gory ways in that particular area, too. Oh, yeah. But in general, I think. 
And uh, I guess one thing that took away from the scariness, but didn't make, and it makes it a lot easier, is that, you know, in CR games, you have the speed splider, which allows you to move your character at a different speed. (laughs) But in general, that means that the world stays the same speed while your character walks faster. So if you just crank your speed all the way up, then you can walk a lot faster than any of the monsters. But that scene is really annoying because there's a series of screens and it's kind of a guessing game where based on where you enter the next uh, scene, like where you exit one scene uh, on the screen and, and show up on the next one, if you're unlucky, you'll show up like right in the arms of one of the golems and it will just kill you without giving you a chance. So I hated that. That was very, very annoying. Yeah. And adding to that, my continued fear of skulls. Whenever you die, you get this big ass skull at the death screen and Tim Curry kind of telling you like, hey, I don't want to be dead. Oh, right. That's right. <laughs> so that was a really irritating part of the game. And I think it was made more difficult with Sierra and their infamous uh, timer, uh, CPU-related timers. Yeah, yeah. So I think it got harder and harder the faster computers got. But if you play it on Scum VM, I think it's just right. So that I found really scary. And that whole scene has a very awesome resolution to it, the very last scene of that. Yeah, there's also in the first game... The uh, Voodoo Museum, you know, you just Mm. uh, go there occasionally uh, to talk to Dr. John, Mm voiced by Michael Dorn, to, Mm. uh, you know, get some background on the whole voodoo business. Yes. And then suddenly one day you go in there, it's all dark, there's nobody there, and all of a sudden you get jumped by this giant constrictor snake out of nowhere, which is pretty much the first uh, opportunity you have in the entire game to get killed. Oh, yeah, it is, isn't it? So that... uh, pretty much comes out of nowhere, really catches you by surprise the first time it happens. Yeah, that is pretty shocking. Although you're really asking for it, aren't you? Because <laughs> you keep going there every single day and basically pissing off the proprietor more every single day. <laughs> <laughs> so Gabriel is like, he pretty much deserves it by then. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess you could uh, put it like that. Yeah, he's a nosy jerk, Gabriel. That's why we love him. And I'll mention briefly Gabriel Knight 2 which is a game that I thought that I didn't like at first, but I grew to more to like it more and more. And I didn't like the actor that they chose to play Gabriel Knight at first, but I grew to like him more and more as well. Yeah, same. So oh, glad yeah, to hear it. it any, uh, Tim, Tim Curry's shoes are pretty big to fill as it is, so. They are. But they were kind of clown shoes, I suppose, too, <laughs> for the first one. Um, so there's one scene. I really won't spoil this. Um uh, I think Charles might have mentioned the scene before anyway, but I'll, I'll be vague about it. It's just there's a great big reveal when you go on a yeah. hunting trip about who the big bad guy is and just the way that it's revealed to you. The whole game is sort of like low-key spooky for the whole thing, but this one scene is just very sudden and overt. And that contrast of moods all of a sudden is very, very impactful, and I love the way that that's done because the way that it builds up, you know that something's going to happen, but you really have no idea like how horrific it it's going to be. So I thought that was phenomenal. That's definitely the best moment of the game is that, that big reveal. Well, that and the uh, big opera moment. That's pretty cool too, but I kind of like this moment more. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Yeah. All right. So that's, that's my piece on Gabriel Knight. Uh, Bianca, do you want to mention one? Do you have more? Uh, yeah, we got a few here, but uh, I'm going to take a, um, 
slightly different route and uh, mentioned the binding of Isaac, particularly afterbirth. No, be, no, what is it? Res- what is it? Rebirth. Rebirth. Yeah, not afterbirth. That one's coming out this week. Oh my gosh, that's out in like a week, isn't it? Yeah. You yeah. talked about I, I actually uh, bought that as well uh, recently. Oh, sweet. The the expansion, you mean, or the base game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, the base game already owned. Mm-hmm. Oh, we, we love this game. Holy shit, I'm just looking at my play time. I have 390 hours played of this game. Jeez. Wow. That's crazy. I it's because I play it while I'm exercising every morning. And I have 97 hours on this game. Mm-hmm. That's plenty. Wow. Mm-hmm. I love this game so much, but don't let me steal your thunder. Please go ahead. Anyways, this game doesn't – it's not – I'm mentioning it just because you, it starts off all benignly when they introduce it, but then, you know, mom goes all psycho on you and you wind up having to jump into the cellar and you're a terrified little boy. There's nothing scarier than the fact that mom basically chases you into the cellar on a psychotic rampage after taking away – Everything that you that, that defines you as a person and reducing you to a quivering little crying mass of childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a very the uh, kind of nightmarish scenario that way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then you then st- you're basically thrown into this horrible realm of whether uh, this horrible realm. You don't know if these are uh, if it's Isaac's actual imagination or if uh, there's the stuff underneath the house, but. As all these references to uh, what could have been like uh, siblings, like unborn siblings who come in the form of like ghost babies mm-hmm. and uh, various uh, other references. But what was really terrifying is the first time that I fought mom, both in, both in this game and the uh, original one. And it's oh, just, yeah. This is huge foot in a high heel comes down and stamp and stomps down on your head. Oh, it's like this big, chubby, lumpy, gross, hairy leg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's <laughs> so nasty. And uh, mom yelling, Isaac, Isaac. It's really Isaac. scary. Isaac. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is an awesome fight. There's a lot of really creepy, awesome themes throughout that game. It's lucky that yeah, the graphics are kind of cute because there's a lot of gross stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because a lot of the enemies have really kind of disturbing designs, whether misshapen or have bleeding eye holes. That uh, is these freaky little uh, enemies that are basically just all bloated up because they have flies gr- growing inside them. Mm-hmm. They're making these kind of wimpy, wimpy uh, crying noises all oh, the time. I felt so bad about that. The enemies that are crying and running away from yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and then you pop them and flies come out of them and attack you. You. Mm-hmm. Then there's uh, when I remember the first time I saw Brian playing it. I'm like, why are there jumping penises on your screen? <laughs> they were like the uh, headless jumping bodies. Oh yeah. And I'm like. What's with the walking blade penises? I don't think they're supposed to look like penises. They're just like simplified, like unshaded, uh, mm. like walking short, stubby figures with no head. So I guess the arms going back and forth look like a big flailing wang to you. Yep. Yeah. I never got that impression from those, but now I'm either. able to see I it. think the reason I got it was because I, was, I wasn't looking at his monitor straight on. I kind of looked over him, and that's why I saw it. Yeah, I, I knew what you were saying after you pointed it out to me, but that never occurred to me before. That was really <laughs> funny. Mm-hmm. But, the fact that they're bleeding, that's just great. <laughs> but yeah, all the uh, – but what makes it even more terrifying is there's all these like cursed rooms and uh, like 
it gets really ter and I find it it's really terrifying when uh, it goes dark when you have the dark the curse of the darkness. Oh, the curses that they add to the latest version. I hate those. I find that very annoying. I find them annoying, but I'm just saying that in terms of scary, the dark curse of darkness, curse of darkness is probably the uh, is probably the only one that's not as annoying as the others. Ah, I think it's annoying too. There are a lot of annoying ones. Uh -huh. It's probably scary the first few times that you see it but after 390 hours i've seen it <laughs> yeah after that after a certain amount of time it's just this is stupid where's my uh, cursed candle so i don't have to put up with this garbage anymore mm -hmm. oh man the expansion comes out on friday oh uh, yeah that's fantastic and it's gonna be all these new mechanics yeah yeah he's pretty generous with the amount of new content that he tends to put in yay can't wait uh -huh. definitely one of my all-time favorite games too i just don't get tired of this game there's so much randomness and stuff that it's always fresh. Mm. So that is that's a very Halloweeny game too, I would say. Yes, it is. In its yeah. What's uh, interesting is that it doesn't. There's not much, in like it, it's it's just because it's a roguelike game. The levels aren't always the same, but the uh, fact that uh, there's an established story at the beginning really adds that level of. Uh, scariness to it when you realize that your that your mother has been hearing these voices and it's going to kill you now because god's supposed to be telling her to kill you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. all right i'm looking at my list and there aren't really too many more that i want to mention but um uh, nakago do you have any any more uh, i got one thing i wanted to talk about sure because on the last show we uh, brought up half-life with the uh, barnacles and all that. Yes. <clears throat> but there was another thing in that game that actually really uh, freaked me out. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you know, Half-Life in general is a pretty freaky game. Uh, you're going through these labs and there's all this destruction and chaos and going on and aliens teleporting in everywhere. <laughs> oh, yeah, the facehuggers and all this stuff. Head yeah. crabs. Head, Head crabs. Yeah. But... Uh, at some point, I think about around the halfway point of the game, they start introducing the sea monsters called ichthyosaurs. Oh, those are bloody scary. Is yeah. There, is there more than one? Yeah, oh, there's there a, There's only a few. There's like three of them or something, aren't there, in the whole game? Uh, it depends, but basically anytime you go near a body of water after mm -hmm. that point, there will probably be some ichthyosaurs in there. And the thing is... They're like all mouth. Uh, they're so scary. Yeah. Underwater, most of your weapons don't work either, except for the tranquilizer crossbow that you pick up once you go into a shark cage. Right. But, the, yeah, the first time you see them, you go into this uh, room with this, where there's a pool, uh, basically, for uh, uh, marine life, and there's a, a shark cage hanging over it. And you see uh, one of these scientists running along the edge, and he suddenly gets snatched uh, away by one of these monsters. Mm-hmm. And it's this big, like, fish-like thing with a huge maw full of teeth. And you have to go into the shark cage to retrieve the tranquilizer gun. But then once you go in there, it suddenly it falls into the water. And these things just come charging at you and roaring and all that. That's right. Plus, you start drowning pretty shortly after. So you've got a lot of things to concentrate all at, at one time. Yeah, exactly. That is a great moment. So they're they're pretty intimidating to deal with uh, while you're in the water because they move really quickly. They they do a ton of damage and you can do a whole lot to them uh, from there. Mm -hmm. but they're a lot easier to deal with, I find, if you just stand along the uh, edge of the water and you just throw some grenades in there or whatever. 
Oh, if I'm remembering right, I think Half-Life 1 in the original engine, you couldn't see... If you were standing outside the water, you couldn't see through the surface. But I think in Half-Life Source, you can. Uh, yeah, I think that's how it went. I seem to remember them scaring me a lot more, or being a lot harder to fight in the original than in the, the new yeah. engine version. Which is fine with me. I don't mind if they make it easier. Because those are very scary. And they weren't actually in Half-Life 2, but there is a really cool scene uh, near the beginning when you uh, get sent uh, sent to a different place through the teleporter, but there was an accident, and then you just kind of get teleported that ran into all these different locations. You appear on a beach, you appear in an office, and then you suddenly fall into the water. Uh, everything goes dark, and then suddenly from out of the darkness, one of these ichthyosaurs just suddenly comes charging at you, opens its mouth, but then you get zapped away again before it can eat you. Mm-hmm. That was a really cool uh, little throwback to the first game, because that's the only time they appear in the sequel. Thank goodness. Oh, I have a memory of Half-Life 2, actually, as well. Um, there is, of course, the scariest part of all, which is the Raven Home level. Oh, definitely. Really uh, cool atmosphere after all the uh, stuff that came before that. It's super-duper cool. And in repeated playthroughs, because I have played that game many times, I'm starting to find the Raven Likewise. Home level... Uh, I'm, I'm starting to find that level annoying, just because I know my way through it, and there's a lot of puzzles, and it's kind of slow, and... Stuff is chasing you, and some guys endlessly keep uh, regenerating. But there's mm-hmm. one moment in that – I'm pretty sure this is in Raven Home that freaks me out every time. And that's when um, there's like a narrow hallway that you can lure uh, zombies through. And there are these uh, like uh, gasoline tubes that you can turn on with a valve, and you can yeah. shoot it and catch it on fire. So you can lead the zombies to walk through that. And they're already kind of shambling and moaning these horrible Ugh. groans. But then when you walk them through the fire, then their moans get all like uh, all anguished and uh, urgent. And you don't know what yeah. they're saying, but it's this really terrifying sound. Yeah, they start squealing, basically. That's a good like, word for it. They're, like they're really horribly in pain as they're burning. Yeah, that's a very good word for it. And it's worst of all when you get like five of them. At the same time, and they're all squealing together. Mm. Oh, it's just b- blood chilling. Uh, I, I mostly just find that funny when you light them on fire and you hear them <laughs> just horribly screaming like that. It's still funny. <laughs> but actually, actually, a interesting thing about that is uh, <clears throat> when they recorded those, and if you go into the game's resources, you reverse what they're saying. You can actually make out that they're screaming, "Oh God, help me!" Oh, really? Yeah. They just they just recorded that and reversed it for the zombie voices. Oh, wow. I had no clue. That's great. They did something like that at the end of Half-Life 1. I saw a YouTube video about it. The very last enemy of Half-Life 1 is that, like, super flying giant-headed baby thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so it tells you all the it, – it's backwards talk in the game, but if you listen to it backwards – which is to say well, forwards. He, he didn't actually talk backwards, but he just kind of, um, I don't know, moans or shouts these kind of cryptic sentences at you once in a while. Yeah. Uh, oh, I thought it was backwards. Maybe I'm remembering wrong. But they're actually like hints about the lore of the game, and they kind of tell you. Yeah. They, after you've played it a few times, or at least if you're familiar with the lore of the game, it, it says some like kind of uh, profound things about what's going yeah, it's, on. It, it's cool how... Uh, the Half-Life games kind of sprinkle in these little plot details in uh, places like that. 
Oh, yes, I love the subtlety. Because when you're just playing through it, there's so much you can miss, and you just think it's a bunch of random stuff that's only there because it's, like, cool science fiction crap. But they do a pretty good job of tying it all together with little subtle cues. I very yeah. much appreciate it. Well, the demo better make the friggin' third game already because <laughs> I'm fed up. Yeah. Hurry up, people. Well, I'm going to take this opportunity to have my next turn because I'm special and mulligan. <laughs> <sighs> She's milking this injured thumb thing by saying mulligan every 10 minutes. Whenever she wants something or doesn't want something, mulligan. That thing better friggin' heal. Mulligan. I'm going to find a health pack and rub it all over your hands. So it's instantly better, I swear. All right, Mulligan Mildred, what's next? The Walking Dead, the Telltale one, seasons one Ooh. and two. Yay! Yes. I mean, yes, it's an adventure game, so it's not as... And because it's art, though, it's not as scary visually as Half-Life 2, particularly Ravenholm, which, because of how... this, Because of the graphic design, it is terrifying. Mm -hmm. But still, there's just times when it's more like... Jump! It jump starts where you, where these, where the, uh, where the, uh, where the Walking Dead just come out of nowhere at you, and you have to know what you have to be ready to mash your buttons like nobody's yeah. business. Mm -hmm. This is true. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I, for, I, this is and this one is based early in the, like in the first episode of the first game. This is this is quite early on after you've uh, had Lee help uh, Clementine. You encounter uh, there's you uh, Kenny takes you along with his you, you encounter Kenny and the others at the farm, and you have a choice between and uh, you hear the screaming and the two and the two sons the younger one and the older one are both being attacked by the Walking Dead. Oh right, and that's what and it's just so terrifying and you have like just a few seconds to decide who you want to save. Yeah, I do appreciate when there's something horrible happening in two different sides and you have a limited amount of time to decide which horrible thing you will allow and which you will prevent. Yeah, and that, that regardless of what you pick, somebody's going to mm -hmm. suffer. Yep. Very hard decisions. Mm -hmm. That and was a really hard one because regardless of what you pick, someone's going to have hurt feelings. And it's just one of those times when it's really difficult. Yeah. Uh, there's just so many of those where it's just whose side do you pick? That's right. Or are you doing something that will that will uh, force people to take a side with you or against you, even though you didn't realize? Yeah, like when you when you when what when the yeah, well, who is it? Who is responsible for distributing the food? Oh, I forget her name. Yeah, if she just she gets fed up. Larry's daughter. Yeah, yeah. When he she gets fed up and gives you the uh, remaining packs and tells you to distribute them. That's a hard. That's another time when it's really hard, and you know that there's these. You can kind of hear the guys beyond the uh, the the uh, lame brains beyond the wall moaning. Yeah, that's right. I like how you can give food to Larry, and he hates you whether you do it or not, and it makes no difference. Mm -hmm. Fuck Larry! I didn't I give him anything. Oh, I did. I tried to get on the good side. There's nothing you can do. <laughs> yeah, but the thing. What's interesting is that uh, Kenny and Cat. Uh, Mm. See, don't care if they if you give them food, but if you give their kid food, they're happy with you. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, our kids fed, we're happy, and it seems to be uh, the best thing you can do for that for them, which is quite interesting. Yeah, that's right. And those things kind of culminate later on. They do remember that stuff. Mm -hmm. So later on, they might do something or not do something because of what you did a few episodes ago. 
Mm-hmm. I just appreciate that because it's those really uh, tough decisions as the undead are barreling down on you that really formulate how this game plays out. Which mm-hmm. is, uh, and I'm kind of glad that they're not going to do. I'm hoping that if they do, they don't bring in the same characters because they had that had a nice conclusion. Uh, that had a good ultimate conclusion. Yeah. Oh, the second one, you mean? Yeah. 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 It seemed like a pretty final because there were so many different ways that it could, it could end. Mm-hmm. And they were very different from each other, so I assume that's the end of those characters. Mm-hmm. No, no spoilers for me, please. Yeah, we promise. Yeah, there okay. are just several endings, but they're all they all have their own impact. Yeah, so I appreciate that because in the first game, you sort of feel like something is going to happen, and you're going to keep going regardless because there is a second season with mm-hmm. the same people. Anyway, yeah. uh, what I, oh what what I found agonizing in that in that series was basically. Whether or not you should chop off a limb, and I won't, I won't, uh, I won't elaborate on that at all because there, there, there are different scenarios where that happens. Mm-hmm. But that's a pretty uh, serious thing that you have to decide in a very limited amount of time that has obvious oh, yeah. repercussions. Yeah. and there's no anesthetic for any for miles around. That's right. Oh uh, yeah. Oh god, that was uh, basically it's pretty uh, hard to watch. 16th yep. century uh, surgery with a saw and uh, no and. Uh, Nothing there to stop it, but your uh, basic turn quit. Turn yeah, yeah. yeah. But so that let's, let's not spoil that anymore. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, there, there was one other thing uh, from that series that I actually wanted to bring up mm-hmm. uh, that you reminded me of because there's a scene in the first season. Uh, well, you, you and your friends have made it into this house uh, seeking shelter from the uh, zombies. And you're kind of, you know, going around uh, making sure everything's safe. And you go up to the attic and you find this little boy who uh, was apparently left there. Oh, yes. That uh, was just. Oh, yeah, that's after, after after his parents uh, went off somewhere. I don't know. And he was just left on his own, starved to death. And now he's a zombie. Uh-huh. Oh. He is just horribly emaciated, literally skin over bones. So he's, sad. He's so weak, he can barely crawl over to you and uh, try to bite your leg. Yeah. So you just kind of have to put him out of his misery, but it's really, uh, really harrowing to go through with it. You have the choice about whether to put him out of his misery, don't you? Yeah, or to uh, give Kenny the power to uh, yeah. do it. If you previously told, if you previously yeah. gave Kenny the well, reprieve. I, I pretty much did it myself, but mm-hmm. it, it was re- it was another one of those things that was really hard to watch. Yeah, yeah and then it's take- kind of a symbolic thing, based on what happens prior to that. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's symbolic given that what happened and the fact that you have Clementine with you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, fatherhood and childhood; those are all recurring themes in that series that are explored in various ways mm-hmm. and uh, reacted to by various people. Yeah, and it doesn't always end happy. It usually doesn't. Nope. At least this game doesn't. I, I appreciate that they don't have happy endings for the most part. We gotta get friggin' trolls to play this damn game. Trolls, you're gonna like this game. Play it, damn you. Quit being a curmudgeonly sourpuss. <laughs> yeah, that's trolls in a nutshell. It is. Play Please the game. Play the game, or we'll, or I'll, I'll hold a, a, a box of uh, Space Quest over a pool of lava. <laughs> Coerce you. <laughs> Where are you gonna get a pool of lava? Oh, that's a good point. A uh, pool of too hot oatmeal. It's <laughs> the best I can do. Or maybe some of the teriyaki sauce you made when your mom came over. 
That was the spiciest thing I ever ate. <laughs> well, according to my mother, and she, I made hers exceptionally spicy just for her. Well, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, you want to take another one, or do we have something else we want to mention? Uh, yeah, I could go. What do you? What else you got? Where's that? What else I got? Oh boy. Um. Uh, well, something else that scared me as a kid. Uh, I'm sure you are all familiar with uh, Another World, or yes. Out of the World, as it's called. Yes. Well, uh, that's uh, one of the one of those classic cinematic platformers, as they're called, mm-hmm. where you're this guy, uh, a scientist who is conducting an experiment with a particle accelerator, and lightning strikes, and you suddenly get zapped to this alien world where everything is trying to kill you. Like, the very first scene that you're in, you get teleported into this lake, and if you don't do anything, these tentacles come out of the darkness and drag you off to get eaten, apparently, uh, I assume. Yep, terrifying. Yeah, and there uh, there are a lot of different ways in every new scene to get yourself killed, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, at the time, of course, I found pretty scary, but nowadays I actually uh, like that kind of variety where... You know, every different uh, scene has new ways for you to die, and are all pretty lavishly animated. So that kind of adds to the fun of it, trying to figure out all the different ways to get yourself killed. Oh, wonderful animation! Yeah, but like you have these little slugs that drop uh, drop down from these uh, rocky uh, uh, overhangings. They and- give you the tiniest little scratch. <laughs> That's all it takes. <laughs> yeah, they have these uh, poison barbs. Uh, if they uh, get a hold of you, you you get. Uh, stung and then you immediately keel over and die Mm -hmm. but while you're making your way past those you have this big old like alien lion thing kind of stalking in the background he's uh, not an immediate threat but then once you make make it past the slugs all of a sudden he jumps out in front of you he roars at you and then you have to run in the opposite direction to avoid getting uh, eviscerated by it basically Mm mm-hmm that's really scary when it roars at you. That's pretty impactful. Yeah, and you know, <clears throat> you know, this was at a time when I was still playing you know, these kind of comparatively primitive uh, Sierra games in EGA to see. So to see all of this, you know, gorgeous uh, animation unfold and all these different death scenes that really uh, had an impact on me at the time. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah. it's still a beautiful game, but also bloody hard. Too hard for me. Yeah. Can't finish it. Don't care to. I've seen the whole thing from beginning to end. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. But I, I personally love it. But the same guy that made it, Eric Chahi, uh, later went on to create another game in a similar style called Heart of Darkness. Mm-hmm. Even harder. Not necessarily. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, it still has a lot of the same trial and error gameplay where you go into a new scene and you figure out, try to figure out what's killing you and how to avoid it. But it also has a lot of the same variety uh, in all the different uh, death animations. Yeah, amazing but, animation. It's like an evil Disney cartoon almost. Oh, yeah. But the thing in that game is you're playing as a little kid. Right. Who's, uh, transported into this creepy, dark world full of living shadows and all that. And some of the deaths as a result are a lot more disturbing than uh, usual because uh, once these, these shadows get a hold of you, they 
well, they'll either swallow you whole or they'll uh, pin you down to the floor while they start chewing bits off of you. Or uh-huh. uh, there's these, these uh, winged demons that if they get a hold of you, they'll break your spine and then carry you off to God knows where. Wow. Oh, I had no patience uh, for that game. That game, you just die. Like every second, there's an opportunity to die. Yeah. I, I somehow made it through it, but it's uh, mm. definitely pretty rough. But I specifically remember uh, originally playing the demo that I uh, got off of a CD-ROM that came with the German uh, gaming mag. And there's a scene early on, well, uh, for the f- first few screens of the game when you first arrive in this other world and you're just blasting apart all of these uh, shadow monsters around you with your uh, laser gun, basically, which is pretty cool. But then all of a sudden... Uh, this rock face just suddenly bursts open and this huge monster comes out and reaches down and grabs your, your gun and eats it and you have to run away from it before it also eats you. <laughs> cool. But yeah, in retrospect, that game doesn't hold up quite as well as Another World because uh, the CGI is really dated and the cutscenes just come off as really childish because this is really a kind of whimsical kind of story about this kid you know he goes to this other world to overcome his fear of the dark while trying to rescue his doggy from uh, the big bad that's almost the same story as Alan Wake (laughs) except instead of a doggy it's your wife yeah (laughs) oh funny well that's a recurring theme too in horror I'm sure the fear of the dark alright do you have any more Hmm. Let's see. Limbo is another one. Oh, that's a good one. It's not. So, uh, it's, yes. a, it's, it's another game, uh, pretty much in the same vein as those that I uh, just talked about. Yeah. Yeah. But the biggest thing for me was just that huge fucking spider. I have no problem with the little spiders that I often see. Like, I'm not usually terrified of spiders. Like, I don't have arachnophobia or anything like that. It's just that when this huge thing comes out, my first reaction is, "Oh fuck." <laughs> Yeah, there's just that spider huge, is quite terrifying. Black, and having it around spider it? with these uh, pointy legs that move in a very slow, deliberate pace, and <sighs> at certain points it will try to spear you on its legs as it approaches. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And it's just like a big black shadow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you never really see it in focus. It's yeah, just a big black every, thing. pretty much everything in that game is a silhouette because it's a very uh, kind of monochromatic black and white kind of game. Mm-hmm. That's that's very uh, neat atmosphere that way. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I like that's a good. Way, it's a good way of accomplishing the atmosphere. It's minimal graphics, but it's still a very, it's still a visually appealing game. Very, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But just that spider is just the scariest shit in that game. So from what I've seen, I hate that spider. And then <laughs> when you defeat it, it's just like the limbs are still there, and I'm afraid the limbs are still going to come out at me. <laughs> Yeah, you tear off its limbs one at a time as the game progresses, which kind of becomes a running gag. And in the end, it's just crawling along on one tiny little leg. It just kind of looks pathetic, but it's still coming after you, trying to kill you. It's awesome. (laughs) So there's that, and what else? Uh, Well, there was one other thing in that game that I remember that I also found kind of freaky. There's... 
at one point you encounter these other kids who have been basically possessed by these glowing worms that have burrowed into their heads. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So you kind of have to uh, avoid them. But at one point, one of these worms gets a hold of you and you lose control over yourself, basically. It just uh, takes control of you and you uh, automatically walk along to your doom, basically. And all you can do is kind of try to jump over these obstacles in front of your path as uh, you're being controlled by this worm in your head. Me? Uh, I, I haven't got to the worm. I think I uh, I might have stopped just short of that. I have to go back and finish this game. Oh, oh yeah, so, uh, yeah. definitely. So, sorry if I spoiled anything. Oh, don't worry. I'll, I'll probably forget about the uh, spoilers by the time I get to it. <laughs> hmm. But it's a, it's a minor part of the overall game. I really need to go back and check that out again as well. I played it on uh, PlayStation 3 years ago. I really enjoyed it. Hmm. Yeah, I have it on PC, naturally. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think it was out on PC yet at the time back then. Mm. And I, I'm not sure my PC would have run at that time anyway. That was way before I upgraded. I was still on Windows XP at the time. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, but you had something else you wanted to mention, Bianca? Um, let's see. Well, it's been a while since I played it, but it feels like no well, list is really complete unless someone is talking about Amnesia, The Dark oh. Descent. Mm-hmm. My most, like, the most vivid memory I have is just trying to walk around the, the wine or was a beer cellar. And it was just, I have no flashlight because I had to leave my torch on the wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, there's shadows everywhere. And I never really encountered anything, but I always felt like my sandy was dripping away from, dripping through my fingers in that game. Yeah, I think it does, doesn't it? Every now and then. I don't know if that's a linear story or if it's randomized or what exactly. Uh, yeah, it is a linear. Oh, it is? Okay. Well, as you said before, most horror games can't really be open worlds. They have to They have to establish a pace. I guess so. Even though that's a walking sim at, the, at some point, it still has a certain pace that it has to go at. Yeah, that's true. Because and it has certain directions that you can go and directions that you can't go. With objectives that you do need to complete in order to progress, much yeah. like the Moon Sliver and any other uh, game, like Alan Wake. Yes, you have some liberty in which direction you go, but eventually you have to turn around and stay on the uh, path that the, the narrator has set out. Okay, because a lot of that game is just exploring. Yeah, because and- you, you have to explore to find the stuff you need to progress. Okay. Yeah, exploring and avoiding monsters. Mm. Yeah. Like the moon sliver, you had to explore to find the story in order to allow time to pass, in order to afford to be nighttime, in which case you could finally go to the mountain. Right. Did you ever see monsters in that game? I never did when I played a little of it. Uh, which one? Amnesia? Amnesia? No, but I saw a lot of shadows, a lot of heavy breathing, and just stuff moving. And But fortunately, the torches didn't really go out for me. That was the one nice thing. was The torches were a lot more persistent than the flashlight was in uh, the moon sliver for me hmm. well ba- basically if you uh, played it and you never saw any of the monsters then you were pretty much playing it right because just looking at the monsters uh, pretty much drained uh, your sanity in that game ah. 
<laughs> and would would also pretty much alert them uh, to your presence. So, yeah, the game had incredible sound. Yeah, really good sound. And and uh, along the same veins is out is Outlast, which Brian's like, I'm not playing this, but we're gonna turn off the lights and you're gonna load it on your computer. Oh shit! And it wasn't <laughs> scary at all when you played it. I it scared the hell out of me when I played it the first time. It's a game where you're like a journalist or something, and you have to explore this creepy old. Asylum. Uh, insane asylum where everyone seems to have escaped and all the guards have been killed. And then there's just body. There's a few like uh, inmates still. Yeah, roaming the halls and threatening to mm-hmm. smash you and stuff. Yeah. The sound was amazing in that game. You really hear yourself breathing. So that kind of sets the tone of how you should be reacting to stuff. And I did. I really fell for it. But then I said, okay, Bianca, you play this. It's real scary. And she played it, and it was she was bored, and I was bored watching it. <laughs> She's too tough. It didn't work on her. No, it didn't. But then, yeah, I played Anisha. I think I must have gotten pretty far, and then I quit at the end, knowing me, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I got through most of the story. And I think I was actually close to the end, but I had to uh, save for some reason. It must have been like bedtime, or mm-hmm. I was tired. Yeah, I think we just got. Oh, which one are you talking about, Amnesia? Or? Yeah. Because I know for Outlast, we got pit, we got bored. Yeah, we got bored after 20 minutes or so. And then you did watch the uh, Silent Hill playable teaser. Yeah, I already oh, talked about it. Oh, boy. That was awesome. I enjoyed that a lot. I already talked about that in a previous episode, so I won't go back to it. But just to watch, like, a movie. As long as you can find a YouTube video where there isn't some giddy moron yakking away. If you find someone just playing like, the game and shutting like up, most horror games nowadays. Yeah, it's idiotic. But I, I uh, I'll find it. I'll find the link again in a previous episode when I talked about it. I put a link of one guy who played it and kept his yap shut. Wow! And it was awesome to watch. Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of that game, but from the, the little that I've seen of it, uh, it's probably not for me. It's it looks pretty intense. The whole well, I think the whole game is like forty minutes long or so. Yeah, wasn't it just? It was just a teaser, right? Yeah, yeah. It's worth. I think there was like thirty of the, the first thirty minutes of the forty minutes or something were pretty awesome, and after that, I was expecting something more to happen, and it didn't really. Yeah, I think it was supposed to just show the uh, technology, the technology and the mood and all of that kind of stuff. It does tell a little story. I thought it was yeah. very cool. I'll put a link. Yeah. And the game sadly got canceled after Kojima got kicked out of Konami. Right. Yeah, that's too bad. I wonder what he'll do next. Yeah, it's a real shame. The game seemed to have a lot of uh, promise, but I guess now we'll never find out uh, what it could have been. Yeah, I'm sure Konami isn't going to let go of the Silent Hill franchise. Yeah, but whether they'll do anything worthwhile with it now remains to be seen. Yeah, exactly. Although, speaking of Silent Hill, uh, one game in that series that I really enjoyed was on the Wii, uh, Shattered Memories. Okay, haven't heard of this one. It's basically a remake of the first game, but with a different twist. Because, hmm. uh, well, the first game, you were just this uh, guy uh, going on a trip with your daughter, and you uh, have a car accident, and when you wake up, your daughter's gone, and you have to explore this spooky town to get her back. Mm-hmm. A Shattered Memory starts with that same premise, but... As you go along, you find out that there's uh, there's different things that don't make sense. Like uh, you go over to where you think your house is, and there's all this 
other people living there now hmm. or things that people will tell you about your daughter don't uh, add up either. So you're trying to figure out what, uh, whether, you know, what you think is real. Is it real or is it uh, f- fantasy somehow? And there's these sections where suddenly the world will just freeze over and you're being chased by these monsters that are trying to grab a hold of you and freeze you as well. Hmm. And you have no way to defend against them, so you have to run and hide from them until you make it to the end of uh, those uh, sections. Sounds kind of dreamlike. Uh, yeah, pretty much. And the game has an interesting psychological aspect to it as well, although it doesn't uh, it doesn't do enough with it, in my opinion. But between uh, certain sections, you will go to this uh, psychiatrist's office where, you know, he's kind of commenting on uh, what's been going on with the uh, protagonist since his accident. And you're given these different tests, uh, you know, to uh, kind of gauge your personality, like you have to fill out these uh, different forms that ask you questions about your own personality, or at one point you have to um, you know, color in this picture of a house and a happy family, and depending on your choices, it will affect certain things in the story and in the game. Mm-hmm. Like the house that you uh, color in at one point, you go up to the, the same house that's colored in exactly the way you colored it. That's a great idea. Yeah. As I said, they don't do a whole lot with it. Most of the time you don't uh, notice that much difference, but it's an interesting concept nonetheless, and I really like the story and how it ends as well. Hmm. Well, though, compared to the other games, it's kind of lacking in the gameplay department because most of the time you're just kind of walking from one place to the next and solving puzzles along the way. Uh, that are kind of blocking your access. And there's these kind of weird, unrelated uh, hauntings and weird things that happen that I'm not sure how they're related to the story. kind of have to piece it together yourself in places. And then every once in a while, the world freezes over. You have to run from the monsters until they go away again. And those sections can get annoying, but they're, they're, they're also scary, of course, because... You're completely defenseless against them. You have to run and hide, that sort of thing. Doesn't sound like my kind of game. I don't enjoy games where I'm being chased and all you can do is hide. Probably because I'm a big baby. (laughs) I suppose, but I still thought uh, thought that game was a really interesting uh, departure from the rest of the series, which is, you know, kind of the same uh, survival horror thing where you're going around and bashing monsters over the head. Mm Mm-hmm. Because at that point, it was uh, kind of getting stale with uh, some of the other games that they were uh, doing at that point mm-hmm. after the original uh, development team had left. Yeah. Really, also, also, not not really scary or anything, but really awesome soundtrack in that game. That's uh, some of my favorite uh, songs with lyrics in video games uh, that I've heard. Hmm. All right on. It's also interesting to listen back to them after you play the game and hear how the lyrics kind of reflect certain aspects of the story. Oh, I love that. That's really nice. Yeah. I have soundtracks for a few horror games. 
But uh, like the, the, what you mentioned, that's something different. That's something that would be enjoyable, I think, and like it would give you more value to listen to afterwards. But in general, listening to horror soundtracks is not a, a pleasurable thing for me exactly. It doesn't exactly accentuate the mood of whatever else it is that I'm doing. I don't want to listen to that while I'm working or while I'm relaxing. Well, it depends. I, uh, well, I'm depends. kind of a, a soundtrack buff myself, but uh, the Simon Gill... Silent Hill games in general have really good soundtracks as well uh, when it comes to the background stuff. Hmm. Although the the first the first game isn't that much fun to listen to outside of the game because it's just it's really kind of ambient, uh, heavy percussion kind of noises. Uh, it's more spooky than melodic, I suppose. Hmm. The later games had some really uh, nice uh, atmospheric background tunes with some uh, moody guitars and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, while we're talking about soundtracks, by the way, I need to put in the show notes. I learned not too long ago about a musical instrument called a water phone. Uh, is that when you drop your uh, Android in the toilet? No, that is not when you drop your Android in the toilet. It's this like <laughs> weird kind of, it's this weird chandelier kind of looking thing. And I forget if you pluck it with your fingers or if you hit it with a mallet or something, but it's like the horror movie Oh, sound. yes, that thing. I it's know exactly what you awesome talking. sound. It's really, really oh, spooky sounding. It is so spooky. I know exactly what you mean. We watched a YouTube video of it. Mm-hmm. I watched a few of them. It's incredible, the sound of this thing. I'll put it in the show notes. It's the coolest thing. I'll have to look that up. Oh, I'm, for I'm sure. I'm not sure anymore what that sounds like. Oh, uh, let me let me see if I can find it here. Water phone. Or do you know any soundtracks in particular that made use of it? Every soundtrack. Here, I'll put it on. Mm. Oh, it's a bow. Oh, something like that. It's like the horror sound. Yeah. It's in like The Shining and stuff like that. The Shining. You want to get sick? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a scary sound. It's this, like handheld thing with a bunch of uh, like tongues on it, and you use your bow and you can shake it around and stuff. Yeah, that, that uh, does awesome. uh, make for some uns- unsettling effects. Very much so. All right, that's enough of that. I'm going to put that in the show notes. It's really an incredible thing to watch and to listen to. <laughs> All right, we'll tell you what. We're at the three-hour mark here. Uh, does anyone have any uh, parting words or want to mention any one last game before we adjourn? Um, I think I'm good on my games. I've covered everything I want to. I can go. Uh, got nothing in particular I wanted to mention either. All right. I'll just uh, read out the names of some of the other games that were on my list, but I decided not to talk about. I have Aliens vs. Predator 2, which was the first, like, flashlight dark shooter that I played. Doom Doom 1 to 3. We talked about Doom 3 last time. Fear. Uh, We have Plants vs. Zombies, Phantasmagoria 1 and 2. Plants vs. Zombies is scary? Not scary, but it's it's got that kind of a theme. Yeah. (laughs) I suppose. Although it does have that whole night night level where you have to uh, deal with the uh, tombstones and the the tombstones occasionally cropping up. Oh, that's true. It's not scary or anything, but it's got the themes. Mm -hmm. Then I have uh, The Seventh Guest, and you must have put this on here. Claire? Yes. I don't remember this What's Claire? Ah, it's just an indie game. You're a, you start off. You're a girl. You're a young woman, and you're visiting your mother in the hospital. 
and you and she encourages you to go stretch your legs and get a cup of coffee rather than just staying in her room. And so as you're walking through, you have this flashback to when you're younger being in the hospital. And you just have to navigate your way through. I haven't gotten very far. Basically, you're just mm-hmm. on the, your objective is just to try and get back to the room after you've gotten get this, to get this cup of coffee. And it's just this whole nightmarish scenario. Not really. Mm-hmm. As I said, I hadn't really. St- I played just a bit of it, and so what I did see is I had. I got it. I got my uh, faithful companion, Anibis, and I had to uh, run like heck away from this uh, shadow that was really terrifying. I don't have a flash. I don't. I have a flashlight that is perpetually on, fortunately, but the <laughs> save points are are a few. There are not as frequent as I hoped. So, just have to uh, figure out how to navigate this. Uh, maze and get back so it involves a bit of exploration ways that were previously open become locked ways that might have been previously cleared now have these uh, dark forms in them and you can and you have these random flashbacks to when you're a child and then you have to uh, find your way in the night in your house where it's really dark and mm-hmm. nothing and all there's there's all these sort of shadows around so i put it i put it in the show notes for those that are interested, it's like a two D. Yeah, just it's it, it's not really a side scrolling platform, but it's two D, and uh, you can you have uh, full control of your character, and you uh, you really just have you, your objective is just to find your way back, and everything becomes a maze after you've uh, left the room and gone to get this cup of coffee. Hmm. But then you can kind of look into other hospital rooms, rooms as you're looking around and you sort of get a, an idea of what's happening. But yeah, you can all, even as you're first going down, you can hear like TVs playing and you get an idea of uh, just who these people are before everything happens. Hmm. So, I should finish that as well and... I'm actually now curious to see what this Alfred Jake Quack is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that's what I'm going to check out as soon as we. Well, why don't we? Why don't we leave it at that then? Yep. What better way to to finish off than with a Hitler combating duck? It's <laughs> <laughs> right. a pretty interesting show, but unfortunately, it's kind of hard to find nowadays, especially since uh, there is an English dub of it, but it was only released up to a certain number of episodes and the dub isn't that very good to begin with from what I've seen, unfortunately. Well, I'm intrigued anyway. Mm -hmm. But uh, I did mention this in one of my videos. I did actually make a uh, English subtitle pack for the original uh, Dutch version because a friend of mine wanted to watch it one time, so I uh, subtitled the entire show for him and then put it up online for other people to use. Wow, that's impressive. That's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it it was a lot of fun, actually, considering. Are you able to send me a link to that? I'll put it in the notes. Uh, yeah, hang on. Let me look it up. Awesome. Fantastic. Yeah, because I'm going to – I'm thinking of getting it, but I'd only get it in the original Dutch form. And it seems they also have Germany, Japan, and Finland listed here as country of origin. Yeah. Sorry, what were you saying? Just looking at the country of origin, Netherlands is the first one listed, and it is followed by Germany, Japan, and Finland. Is it like? Oh yeah, it was. Uh, 
yeah, was uh, originally created by the famous Dutch artist Herman van Weyden. He's a famous musician, actor, writer, etc. Hmm. But the show itself was actually animated in Japan. Hmm. Uh, where is it? Oh, here it is. Oh, awesome. There you go. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're welcome. Hopefully you'll get some enjoyment out of it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me know if you uh, decide to watch the show. Really interested to hear uh, what you think of it. Oh, sure. Well, we'll give it a try. Uh, we'll give it a chance anyway. Yeah. Cool. Neato. All right. Well, I can go. Thanks a million for coming back on the show. We always love to have you here, and I'm sure it will definitely not be the last time. Oh, uh, thanks for having me, as always. Oh, you betcha. I will um, copy and paste your contact info uh, from the show notes from a couple of weeks ago, but... Uh, you want to tell anyone verbally where they can uh, reach you? Oh, sure. As usual, I'm still on Twitter at Amiyuradakago. I'm on Tumblr, amiyuradakago.tumblr.com. There's my YouTube channel where I try to, <laughs> one, once a month, put out a, a new review or whatever. Uh, YouTube.com slash Uh Like I said, I'm currently still working on the fourth and final part of the Alpha J. Quack retrospective. And mm. uh, most recently, I actually did a video on uh, "Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes" with my buddy Farrell the Gecko. Oh, that that game is so funny! Yeah, I need to get back to uh, playing it with uh, Frederick or whoever sometime. Mm-hmm. Not not Frederick Olsen, my buddy Frederick, uh, Little Norwegians. Right, I remember. <laughs> yeah, because he expects expressed an interest in trying that uh, sometime with me as well. Mm. Uh, there's still my blog, akagos100gameoath.wordpress.com, where I occasionally post uh, video game reviews of uh, things that I've been playing lately, but I haven't updated it since last time. Uh, but I'm, I'll probably uh, post a review of uh, Xenonaut sooner or later if I uh, get around to finishing it, or if I just uh, feel uh, <clears throat> like posting a review once I've made enough progress in it. Because, you know, it's a, kind of, it's a kind of game where if you've uh, played it for long, if you get a general impression of uh, how it goes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anyway, that's uh, pretty much all I uh, wanted to plug. So, yep. All right. Well, thank you very much for that. And thank yep. you again for coming along. Uh, and, folks, uh, thanks, thanks again to Ben Chandler. And hello, Ben. Uh, we really appreciate uh, you sending in the letter. Hi. 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 <laughs> um, if uh, you would like to uh, contribute a letter to the show, we, it's always very most welcome. We love to hear from our listeners. Or voicemail. Or voicemail. You can catch us on the web, squarefm.demodulated.com, by email, squarefm at demodulated.com, and Twitter at squarewavesfm. All right, so scarily yours. We uh, sign off, and we will talk to you next week. And we wish you a happy Hallow's Eve. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> That's my scary laugh, right? Okay, I just peed a little. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.